have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 3675. So sit back, relax, and remember Southern Sense is common sense. Check it out. 
go to my website, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Click on the display in the upper left-hand corner for My Patriot Foods. Be prepared. Do it today. All right, and welcome back to another adventure here on Southern Sense. You're listening live on Blog Talk Radio, Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker. Well, YouTube's still got me banned. Uh, also, go to my website, Southern Sense. You can see me live there and join in the chat room over there. I'm your hostess with the least mostest, the Radio Chickadee, Annie. And today, as guest co-host, I've got Mama Mia, no Sharia, my Guido, Vito Esposito. Good afternoon, Vito. How are you today? I am doing well, Annie. How are you? Oh, I'm having fun. I am having lots and lots of fun today. Uh, as usual, I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off, but, you know, someone else is new. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We got ourselves a rock and roll and good lineup today. I can't believe this. Um, we've got uh, retired USMC major Fred Galvin. He's the author of a new book, A Few Bad Men, the true story of U.S. Marines ambushed in Afghanistan and betrayed in America. And oh boy, does he have a story to tell you. I haven't had a chance to read the book yet, but I've been reading through some of the the short ends and the history that goes behind it. Holy cow. This, This guy is absolutely phenomenal. And the story of what the government did to him is absolutely outrageous. And then we got our friend returning, Robert Spencer. He's the director of Jihad Watch and a Shulman Fellow at the David Horowitz Freedom Center. His latest book is The Critical Quran, explained from key Islamic commentaries and contemporary historical research. And then we have the attorney returning, Larry Clayman. He's the founder and former chairman of Judicial Watch, and he's the current chairman of Freedom Watch. His new book out. It takes a counter-revolution. Wake up, America. And boy, do we really have to wake up. And it's my bi-monthly week a visit with our friends from the Epic Times, or Epoch Times, as he likes to say, Mark Tapscott. And then returning from the Heritage uh, Foundation, the Heritage Legal Fellow and co-director of Heritage's new Rogue Prosecutors Initiative, Zach Smith. So we got a lot going on, Vito. And Man, uh, you get a full schedule. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whew. And I get tired just reading all that. <laughs> <laughs> You're out of breath. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to say hi to everyone that's uh, up in the chat room here on uh, Bot Talk Radio, as well as whoever's going to show up on Facebook and. Uh, onto my personal webpage because I do now have the uh, the chat room and the video up on the personal webpage. So if you get tired of signing into Blog Talk Radio, ah, <laughs> you can always come over and hang out with me on my webpage. Uh, it is up and running there. But still, still banned on YouTube, so I'm going to be crying my eyes out. <laughs> get that safe room, Annie. Get that safe room. <laughs> <laughs> haven't been banned yet up on Twitter, but, uh, you know, you did say that you saw the videos up on um, YouTube for of the show, right? Uh, Twitter. I've been actually... I'm, I, I'm sorry, I, not uh, on Twitter. Yeah, on Fridays, I've been, I've been uh, watching uh, your show on Twitter, 
um, and just you know making sure that you your hair is in place and you're doing what. Yes, I've been watching you up on Twitter. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, if anyone takes a really good look at the camera today, there's a little bit of a fat lip on my face. Uh, the cat tripped me, and I went oh, face first no. down on the floor. <laughs> oh. Oh. So much for well, does the cat is... have your, ta- your tongue? Yeah, it has your foot. Yeah. Well, oh. I've got five of them, and the one that tripped me was Imp. So, of course, oh. we named him correctly. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> oh man, and man, I didn't even remember to turn off my my phone. Oh, how stupid! See that? I told you, Vito, that I was all messed up today. Oh, yeah, you. Oh well. Right. <laughs> all right. Oh man, um, it was Mark Tapps got making sure he knew that he was coming on the show today. But those that uh, watch and listen to our show every day know that we started off with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going to go out to two Marines. It's going to go out to Marine Corps Captain Moises A. Navis and Gunnery Sergeant Diego D. Pongo. They both died March 8th of 2020 while serving during Operation Inherent Freedom in Afghanistan. And from several different sources... This one is from the Military Times, Under the Fallen, and it reads, A Department of Defense has identified two Marine Raiders who were killed Sunday in Iraq while clearing a tunnel complex full of Islamic State fighters. Gunnery Sergeant Diego DiPongo, 34, of Semi Valley, California, and Captain Moises A. Navis, 34, of Germantown, Maryland, were the two Marines killed, according to a Department of Defense press release that Tuesday morning. Both Marines were assigned to the 2nd Marine Raider Battalion, Marine Forces Special Operations Command out of Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Pongo joined the Corps in 2004 as an 03-11 rifleman. In 2008, he completed Scout Sniper Basic Course, and then was the sniper team leader when he deployed to Afghanistan in and with 1st Battalion, 5th Marines. He became a Marine Raider in 2011, where he completed deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan. A release from Marine Forces Special Operations Command had said, Pongo's personal awards included a Bronze Star Medal with Combat Distinguishing Device, a Purple Heart, two Navy and Marine Corps Accommodation Medals, the Navy and Marine Corps Achievement Medals, two Combat Action Ribbons, the Army Valorous Unit Award, four Good Conduct Medals, two Humanitarian Service Medals, the National Defense Service Medal, the Global War on Terrorism Expeditionary Medal, the Global War on Terrorism Service Medal, and four Sea Service Deployment Ribbons, the MARSOC release said. Navis also enlisted in the Corps in 2004, becoming a sergeant before earning his officer commission through the Marine Enlisted Commissioning Education Program, the MARSOC release added. He became a Marine Raider in 2016, where he spent the last four years as a team commander 
and company executive officer. Navis had recently been selected for promotion to major. His personal awards included a Purple Heart, Joint Service Commendation Medal, the Navy and Marine Corps Commendation Medal, Navy and Marine Corps Achievement Medal, Combat Action Ribbon, two Good Conduct Medals, and the Military Outstanding Volunteer Service Medal, the Humanitarian Service Medal, the National Defense Service Medal, the Global War on Terrorism Expeditionary Medal, the Global War on Terrorism Service Medal, and four Sea Service Deployment Ribbons. The loss of these two incredible individuals is being felt across our organization, but it cannot compare to the loss that their families and teammates are experiencing. Colonel John Lynch, the regimental commander for the two Raiders killed, had said in a statement. Both men epitomized what it means to be a Marine Raider, Lynch added. They were intelligent, courageous, and loyal. They were dedicated leaders, true professionals in their craft, and willing to go above and beyond for the mission and their team. The Marines were working with Iraqi special operators in a large operation to clear out ISIS outposts in the southern Makhmur Mountains in Iraq, the Marine Corps Times reported. The fighting was so intense and the region so remote, it took coalition forces six hours to recover the bodies of the two Marines. The military estimated that between 17 to 19 ISIS fighters were killed in the operation. The two Marines were part of Operation Inherent Resolve, a multinational operation started in 2014, tasked with defeating ISIS in Iraq and Syria. The two new deaths bring the total of troops killed in action as part of OIR to 19, according to Defense Casualty Analysis System. The last American service member killed in combat as part of Operation Inherent Resolve was also a Marine Raider. Gunnery Sergeant Scott A. Noppenhofer, 35, of Mancos, Colorado. Noppenhofer died in August 2019 while advising Iraqi forces in its fight against the Islamic State in Nenwa Province, Iraq. On behalf of the Marine Raider Regiment and all of MARSOC, our most sincere condolences go out to the families of Gunnery Sergeant Pongo and Captain Navis, Lynch said. In times like these, we come together and rely on each other, sharing our burdens and providing strength to those that need it. We will do everything we can to lift up and support our grieving families in order to honor the incredible lives and the ultimate sacrifices of Gunnery Sergeant Pongo and Captain Navis Lynch added. And this is from Heavy.com by Carolyn Warnock. Captain Navis was described as a family man and adoring husband. Captain Moises Navis is survived by his wife and four kids, his parents and his brother. He was only 34 years old. The Marine Regiment Commanding Officer Colonel John Lynch issued his own statement, saying that Captain Navis was a true Marine Raider. In addition to being intelligent, courageous, and loyal, he was a leader and a professional. 
Colonel Lynch also described Captain Navis as a family man who loved his wife, his daughter, and his three sons. Captain Navis was born in Panama and grew up in Maryland and spent his free time supporting his children in their sports. Colonel Lynch said most people referred to Navis as Mo. And this is now by Sharon Strong, published in Associated Press. The family of a U.S. Marine killed in Iraq last month had to postpone his memorial service because of restrictions on large gatherings in California to slow the spread of the coronavirus. Family members of Gunnery Sergeant Diego DiPongo were surprised with an emotional parade outside their Semi Valley home that began with a police helicopter flyover, followed by about 1,500 law enforcement vehicles, fire engines, and cars. The fallen Marine's mother was moved to tears. I'm totally overwhelmed. I'm absolutely overwhelmed, said Catherine Steffen. As much loss as this has been to us with Diego's death, We've also had an overwhelming amount of community support, she added. Pongo's sister-in-law helped organize the parade to surprise his parents and brothers. We've really been alone through this time, and it's been hard, said the sister-in-law, Andrea Pongo. Her husband said that while they weren't able to honor him with a proper funeral, the community has expressed an outpouring of support. It's been really hard especially knowing that we haven't been able to hold a funeral or any kind of a memorial, and people keep reaching out to us, showing us their support, and saying how much they want to be there for us, Andres Pancos said. Soldiers held a small ceremony, folding a flag and presenting it to Diego's family. The city's police department helped out with traffic control. Community members kept the parade going for more than two hours, and many of their cars blasted music while kids hung out of windows waving flags. People gathered on sidewalks to watch the parade follow it, social distancing measures. Sergeant Patrick Zayak told the Ventura County Star, it was a great show of support in our community, he said. Pongo, 34, and another Marine were killed during a mission to eliminate a stronghold for the Islamic State group in Iraq. Pongo and Captain Moises A. Navis, also 34, of Germantown, Maryland, were both assigned to the 2nd Marine Raider Battalion out of Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Pongo was an advanced sniper, a foreign weapons instructor, and a combat marksmanship leader who was fluent in multiple languages, Marine Raider Regiment Commanding Officer Colonel John Lynch said. He is survived by his daughter and other family members. Today's show is dedicated to Captain Moises A. Navis and Gunnery Sergeant Diego D. Pongo. It's also dedicated to all the brave men and women that served in the military, the birth of this nation through today and into our promising future. We also dedicate to the brave men and women out there that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We say thank you to each and every one. May God bless them all. And we dedicate to them this song by Todd Allen Herndon, My Name is America.
grip of oppression I fought for my liberty I paid with the blood of my people Freedom has never been free Now my door's always open To dreamers and friends Forget about YouTube. I'm banned. Facebook. <laughs> also up on half a dozen 
other places. I don't even remember where I'm at. Oh, Lord. Uh, Global Enlightenment Radio. Oh, yes, I managed to get them banned from YouTube because they were carrying my show, too. (laughs) (laughs) You're instigator, you. (laughs) Oh, I'm such a troublemaker. I'm Annie, the Radio Chickadee, along with my guest co-host for the first half of the show, Mama Mia No Sharia Vito Esposito. Oh, man, we have so much going on, Vito, and so much to talk about. It's like it, it's nonstop with this administration. You know, you get hit nonstop. You never know what the heck is going to happen next with these people. I swear there's no sanity in the government anymore. Do you think there is? No, not at all. And it's all by design. I mean, I think the chaos that, that's being thrown at us is all by design. Um, it's what meant to overwhelm people and overwhelm the system and then distract. And that's what we have right now. We have distractions. The January 6th commission, the leak of the document, all meant to distract the American people from what's really happening. You know, $5 a gallon for gas, uh, $5 a gallon for heating oil and empty empty food shelves and uh, prices of grocery escalating, you know, to outrageous numbers that people just can't afford it. Well, I want to mention that I do see someone up in the studio phone line, but there's not a phone number I recognize. If that is our guest, uh, please press the number one on your phone, and I will know it's you, and I'll bring you on, because it's not the phone number that I saw coming up on the message you sent me. Um, Anyway, I hope it is my guest. I don't know, but they should be calling in very shortly. (laughs) Otherwise, I'm in trouble. But, yeah, uh, Congress just now passed uh, two gun control bills, one a red flag law and the Mm. other one limiting your uh, capacity and having to do with the bump stocks and uh, also the age of the person eligible to buy the firearm. I'm sorry. You go into the military at the age of 18 and you're carrying a weapon. uh, So why would you not at the age of 18 be able to purchase your own weapon? I mean, well, I, I think it's, there's also the, the it's, it's a distraction as well. You know, um, the, the fact is, is that the Democrat Party has failed the American people. They've failed the family. They've take they've actually wanted to disintegrate the the, uh, the family unit. They've taken God out of the country. And now in order to masquerade and, and mask over their their intentional a division of, of a family and fatherless families. Now we're going to go ahead and start attacking the U S constitution and the bill of rights and we'll start diluting it. You know, there's nothing in the constitution with regards to the second amendment that states that there's an age limit of, of 18 or 21 yet. It's the same party that wants to lower the voting age from 18 to 16 and yet doesn't have confidence in an 18 year old to carry a weapon or own a weapon. How ironic is that? It makes absolutely <laughs> that that is completely ironic, and the the women on the View came up oh. with oh Joey Bayar, um, the one conservative that was on panel happens to be a black American, a female American, and she's like, well, what's blacks own guns? Yes, a growing number of people buying guns are blacks, and what is the problem? But Bayer goes, well, when even more buy, then watch the gun laws change, meaning that, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, because you're of one minority, you don't have the capacity to responsibly and legally own a firearm. How bigoted, how stupid is that? 
How racist. How, yes. <laughs> yes. That's pretty damn racist from a lefty. Yeah. It is. It is. And and here they think they're being, you know, wonderful saying something wise. But, you know, you just slapped the entire African or black population in the United States across the mm-hmm. face. To say yep. you're too stupid, so the government's going to have to restrict guns even more so you can't own them. Oh, by the way, you also end up living in the highest crime rates uh, statistically, so you can't defend yourself either. Can you imagine if, if, uh, if Ted Cruz had made that statement? I mean, can you imagine if a white Republican had made that statement, a white conservative, that now you're going to flood the black community with guns and you watch how you'll change the laws? I mean, if that's not a racist, if that doesn't epitomize the racism and the anti-constitutional belief system of these radical leftists, these extremists, I don't know what does. I mean, that is offensive as all get out. Oh, it is. It is. Oh I can God! It's, right. It's it it, it 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 just absolutely boggles the mind. Absolutely, completely boggles the mind. This is the stupidity. But now, also now, you have to have a federal red flag law. <laughs> now, if anyone out there listening doesn't know what a red flag law is, it started mostly in liberal states, and it was meant, I guess, to prevent. Um, domestic abuse situations, uh, but it's actually morphed into something of unintentional consequences. Basically, if, if there's someone out there that you feel is a danger to themselves or to others, uh, there's someone, maybe you're in a domestic violence situation and your partner has a firearm that they've threatened you with, or there's someone that has a mental condition that honestly shouldn't probably have a firearm because they are a danger to themselves and to others. It was meant to in those situations, but now the way it's done is is that someone can file a complaint in court against you simply because your neighbor doesn't like your politics or Mm -hmm. your sexual preference or what type of car you drive or maybe you make a little bit too much noise. Uh, They just, whatever reason, they got to pissing contest going on with you and they want to do something to hurt you so they'll turn around and go to a judge and say well this person is a threat to someone else or to themselves they own a firearm and they need you need to take them away and you have no idea that someone just filed a complaint against you next thing you know you've got a SWAT team knocking on your door demanding you turn over your firearms now it's up to you you have to go through the time and expense to try to get them back, get your own property back, because someone filed a malicious complaint against you. And nothing happens to them, but you're the one stuck with all the legal costs and fees. So rather than being notified, hey, listen, a complaint has been filed against you, uh, if you're mentally capable and you have a psychiatrist or whatever, you certify you as mentally capable, and we don't have a problem here. But still, you have to go through the time and expense to prove. And a lot of people are being hit with this. It's just simply because someone's pissed off, 
and now a red flag law is placed against you and your firearms are removed and your constitutional rights are trampled. Where's due process? There's no due process in that. No. Absolutely zero. You're, you're not even able to uh, face your accuser. So, you know. And hasn't the Democrat Communist Party found a way to, to try and circumvent the Second Amendment without really addressing the real issue as to why uh, we're having all of this violence, which they caused, which the Democrat Party caused, um, with their anti-American policies, with their anti-constitutional um, uh, policies? So, you know, they're not – they, the Democrat Party, is, is – desperately trying to find ways to circumvent the Second Amendment, which will then make it easier to basically dismantle it. And that's what they're doing. I'll just never forget Charles Krauthammer's comment back in 2009 in October. He stated that Barack Obama will, will systematically dismantle the United States Constitution. And boy, was was Charles Krauthammer ever so right. Well, we have our first guest, our first victim in on the line. want to welcome to the show for the first time uh, Major Fred Galvin, United States Marine Corps, retired. Hoorah! And you're, I, you're calling me right here in the heart of the Tri-Command. I am halfway between Paris Island uh, Recruit Depot and halfway between the Marine Corps Air Station and the Naval Hospital. Hoorah, Marine. How are you today? Hoorah. Great. God bless you, man. <laughs> I appreciate being your guest. Oh, it is our pleasure. Now, unfortunately, your book just came out only three days ago, so I haven't been able to read it yet, so we're going to have you come back on after I read it, and that is a promise. I guarantee that. Uh, But it is a very interesting book. It is titled A Few Bad Men, The True Story of U.S. Marines Ambushed in Afghanistan and Betrayed in America. And I had in my notes, reading the Amazon and going back to some of the old news reports and other things, I said to myself, holy crap, what you went through and what you're still going through 15 years later, what they put you through when you did your job perfectly. Oh, my goodness. And you are still a proud Marine. Yes, and thank you. From uh, what you were just discussing about the uh, the Second Amendment, this story, and unfortunately, this is not a, a one-off. There's another case right now in progress with from the same command that I was in, uh, Marine Special Operations Command, uh, involving two Marine gunnery sergeants and a Special Operations corpsman, a medic. Uh, different, different time and location. These guys were in Iraq. They, somebody, a, a drunk, uh, retired. Green Bray, 275 pounds, punched this guy in the face twice and was coming in a third time. And then one Marine, ironically, the mainstream media doesn't seem to pick up on this at all. And this has been going on for three and a half years. But one Marine came to another's aid and punched the assaulter in the face one time. That's it. No other punch, kick, weapon, foul language, nothing. And all three of these Marines are being charged with homicide to include the gunnery sergeant who was assaulted, who, by the way, is African-American. The media doesn't want to pick up on that either. Um, but this comes down just like our case. Our, our case happened in 2007. We were – the seven of us were accused, so they call it the MARSOC, which is Marine Special Operations Command 
seven was the number of us who were falsely accused for mass murder. But we, just like these three currently under fire, we defended ourselves. And now those rights, as your previous guest had mentioned, are being taken away where if we can't defend ourselves in combat or if a Marine can't even defend himself or his fellow buddy when the rules of engagement that they're ordered and, and constrained by say, if your fellow service member is attacked, you are obligated to respond in kind. So mm-hmm. these U- Marines used proportional force, just one punch. That's it, Ann. And think about this. If, if you were out for dinner and someone assaulted you, Ann, is your, say your son, your loved one, are you not able to defend yourself or someone not able to defend you? And where? But this is the Marine Corps. I mean, they're trained in Marine mm-hmm. Corps martial arts. You have a belt system that you have to get promoted, or you, you're not competitive for promotion, and you leave. And you're not even allowed to defend yourself now. So when people think like, oh, come on, Ann, what are you really talking about? Why do we need all these guns, and you know, what's this whole defense thing? Believe you me, if we don't protect and stand mm-hmm. up, taking a stand is required at this point in time. Because when we let our military has gotten very woke. And when we do not take that stand, what we're going to have is what's going on in Ukraine right now, where we see a a Russian army larger numerically in size, greater in technological advantage, but because their force is suffering from low morale, because there's a big disconnect between their generals and the frontline foot soldiers, they are ineffective. And we have a treaty which America needs to be on the frontal lobe of our brains. This treaty to defend Taiwan will require us to defend Taiwan. And China, as we speak, they are doing amphibious rehearsals on the east coast of China, not haphazardly, not by accident. It's not some coincidence that they are Mm -hmm. continuing to accelerate this, but they are planning to push those 96 miles across the straits of Taiwan and invade Taiwan, which will draw America into a war that I will say right now we are not ready for and our forces don't have the morale to win. And I say this because the book, as it says there, and I served for 26 years, 10 months, and 19 days, and then I just six weeks ago finished four additional years working for the Department of Defense as a civilian. And what I saw is an acceleration of low morale. All these senior officers, I was stationed in Hawaii, and I'm not rubbing it in, I'm just saying, their wives didn't oppose living in Hawaii. <clears throat> they were not deploying, especially during COVID, anywhere where they were discouraged because they're just so busy. It's not because they have better jobs, but there's a lot of things, all this social engineering that's going on inside our military. As a trained reconnaissance officer, it's not just what you see, it's what you don't see and sense on that. And when people can't even talk about it because they realize these policies, these are kind of like endangered species. And if you even think, wink, or blink about you know, objecting to the goofiness of what's going on in the, inside the military with these policies, you're headed out the door. Uh, so we have a clear and present danger in the United States and if China decides to push across the straits, we're not going to be talking about $6 gas prices. We're going to be talking about every single thing in America 
that we didn't want to have any type of environmental pollution, so we pushed it over to China to manufacture it. The costs, when they shut down and they close us off, because the last 20 years we've been horsing around with the Middle East while the Chinese have been developing this One Belt, One Road initiative that basically made all these countries client states due to their infrastructure projects. When China and their in their puppet, you know, client states cut us off. We're our way of life is is over. So we need to uh-huh. really be paying attention. This book, it it is about basic elements of military justice, self defense, and morale. But there's a lot of other implications, and it's something I've really encouraged your listeners to pick up a copy. Available mm-hmm. immediately on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Either, you know, a lot of people don't like reading books, and so. We did do the audible. Uh, <laughs> I, I saw you had the audible there, yes. Well, i got to tell you, there is a link to the book uh, directly on the show page because we get a lot of listeners in the archives. I mean, I can't even tell you. I know one one uh, area that's covering me says I get up somewhere of 50,000 listeners on just their one network. Mm. Um, so there is a link. All they do is click on A Few Bad Men, and it'll take them straight over to Amazon. Um and uh, you, they can buy the book either the Audible, the Kindle, or the hard copy. And uh, yeah, and I got to tell you, I was married to a gunny, uh, my ex-husband, okay. and uh, and our show. And we start off each and every show uh, with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication went to two Marsoc Marines, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Captain Moises A. Neves and Gunnery Sergeant Diego Di Pongo, who were killed during Operation Inherent Resolve in 2020. And, uh, I mean, I, I poke my head out the window and I've got Marines around me. So, you know, I, I, I know what you're talking about when you're talking about the morale. Uh, a dear friend of mine, his son, went through Paris Island here about five years ago. And when they started with all this other stuff, even when he was in boot camp, he's like, well, I don't know how long you've got to stay in. He just he could not believe. He thought it was going to be something completely different. And as you said, their hands are tied. And this is outrageous. And what happened to you was just the tip of the iceberg before we knew everything that was happening now. Uh, we are now militarily, ship-wise, uh, below pre-World War II levels. You have a new Marine Commandant who wants to change the Marine Corps and make it more technologically based, dealing with drones and cyber attacks rather than boots on the ground. And the Marines are always, always the first ones in. So if you guys are not ready to be the first ones in, what happens to the rest of the military? They depend upon you. And this social engineering is going to kill us. Absolutely. And, uh, one of the things in the book, and for your listeners, Ann, if if they enjoyed military books or movies, whether it was the combat action that they saw in American Sniper in Iraq, the combat action from you know lone survivor in Afghanistan, or the courtroom drama of a few good men, I want to let them know that the co-author, who's a professional journalist, and I'm I was a fighter, not a writer. Just learned to walk upright, but Salmana, the co-author, <laughs> wrote this book, and everybody that's read it, read the blurbs on Amazon before you go and buy it. Uh, read the blurbs and hear what they have to say. Uh, these are 
members of Congress, uh, former senior civilian leaders, judge advocates, movie producers, they all say how well written it is, and that's Salmana. Uh, he wrote it so everyone can easily understand it very clearly. Uh, there's not jargon and acronyms that confuse anyone, but this story is very important because it's not just about the juicy operations we did in Iraq and Afghanistan. That's kind of the the window dressing, but the real meat and potatoes is – this is a nonfiction story. This is a book that uh, I was the commanding officer of this Marine Special Operations Task Force, and I was also on the patrol as an eyewitness and a participant and one of the two – co-defendants in the longest war crimes trial in Marine Corps history. Um, we were exonerated in how that occurred, this information warfare that the Marine Corps would continually move the media out of the courtroom. And, you know, this was a gun battle, and we were shot at, blown up, hit with sniper fire, trapped in a kill zone. We counterattacked, and we killed Taliban insurgents who were fighting at us at 9 o'clock in the morning, not at night. There's no fog of war and confusion. What's going on? No, we killed people. These were Marine commandos, highly trained. They, they were clearly visualizing what is in front of them, and they fired at people driving a vehicle straight at us with three jihadists firing out of it. And then another direction, there was people in a riverbed. I said a riverbed, not a crowded uh, civilian location, but we killed people who were firing weapons right at us. Could some civilians have been killed from the car bomb that blew up on us or some of the jihadists that were firing at us? Possibly, but we didn't kill any of them. Um, but the media was con constantly escorted out of it. And I don't fault the media at all. They reported what information they were given. But the Marine Corps would escort the media out every time we would have defense witnesses uh, question on the stand. So the jury heard everything, but the media did not. Uh, so I had to fight for 11 years to get the information declassified, which it now is. And when you hear everything that your senior officers, of course, they don't see the media in there, and it's being closed because it's a what they classified as a secret uh, session of testimony, which it had no reason. You can't classify anything according to the Security Classification Guide to save someone from embarrassment. And that's exactly what they did. But now all this has been declassified, and the last half of the book, when you're talking about the courtroom, is just one officer after another falling on their sword. You didn't hear this in the media then, but you do now. It's been declassified, and it is their quotes. So you see their picture in the book. You also have their actual name, and you hear specifically what they said under sworn testimony. And it will just shock you that this is what happened in all these officers that perjured themselves, that betrayed their fellow American military service member, they, how they got promoted, how they got awarded, and all the way to four-star generals. Uh, it's really disgusting, and that demoralizes our military, and that's why this is important, that we cannot allow this to go on if we expect to fight countries, whether it's China or China and Russia. Uh, we're gearing up for a world war, whether we like it or not. I hope and pray it doesn't happen, but we have to plan that it will and we can't put our heads in the sand and think that we don't have a morale problem when it's it's the truth is right there hidden in front of our face and i just need everybody to understand what our current situation is right now in the u.s military yeah and it's, it's, 
Uh, this is my uh, guest co-host, Vito Esposito, who has his own show, Mamma Mia No Sharia, on Global Patriot Radio. Go ahead, Vito. Hi, Major, and thank you for your service, sir. Um, I'd just like to know, have you ever received an apology from Representative Adam Smith? No, and as you know, Adam Smith, was uh, he received testimony during our ongoing criminal investigation from our commanding general. He was major general at the time. Of course, he got promoted. Major General Halick testified during an ongoing criminal investigation, and after which uh, Congressman Adam Smith said, at a minimum, this was excessive force. So when you say that stuff to the press, mm-hmm. and our commanders are saying it, and then at that same time, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Peter Pace, stated in a press conference that this is indeed a nick on our pride. He said he spoke to the Commandant of the Marine Corps. At that time, it was General James Conway, who said he's disappointed in the conduct of these Marines. Uh, when all that information is going out to the press during a criminal investigation prior to a trial, do you think you're going to get a fair shake? The, the Marines who are jury members are reading all this stuff and hearing, you know, general officer after general officer. Uh, Colonel Nicholson, who is the battle space commander, stated in a Pentagon press conference during our criminal investigation that this was a terrible, terrible mistake. It was a stain on our honor and that he apologized and gave four years average Afghan salary out to these Afghan, he called them victims, um, and, and said that Americans killed innocent Afghan civilians. When you say, make comments like that repeatedly from senior officers to include general officers, what, has our presumption of innocence been destroyed, been shattered? That's, that can no longer happen, and as I had described, three Marine Special Operators right now in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, their case has been going on three and a half years, and they had a colonel, staff judge advocate from headquarters Marine Corps there in the Pentagon, go down and essentially threaten eight Marine lawyers in Camp Lejeune this past November, stating that if you defend these guys, you, you can be protected in your fitness report, but on your promotion, that Marine colonel who sits on the promotion board, the staff judge advocate, knows who you are, and you will not be protected. Am I saying this? No. All eight of these Marine lawyers showed the courage, and they wrote affidavits last December that had been submitted. I ask your listeners to uh, reach out to their members of Congress, reach, have them correspond with uh, Congressman Louis Gomer's military legislative assistant, Derek Miller. This has to be stopped. On the 24th of this month, here in June, we will have a hearing for unlawful command influence uh, from the MARSOC three, those who are currently in this case. These are the three that, you know, the, the black American Marine was being punched in the face, coming in a third time, and another gunny, Josh Negron, come in and punched him once, and now all three of them, to include the guy who was assaulted, to include the medic who was rendering aid, Vito, uh, First of all, can I call you Combat V? That's, a, that's some military jargon. But, Vito, this probably is confusing you because every person I've heard, I've talked to, they say, that doesn't make sense. And they're absolutely right. It doesn't make sense, but from a military perspective, you know, these guys don't have a, a standing chance when, you know, what happened to us could very easily happen to them. Uh, the convening authority, Major General Challenger, decides on who is 
he's the convening authority in this case, the head of MARSOC. He decides who's retained, who's promoted, who, where their next assignment will be. Do you think the jury will want to go against the general? This is the third general over the last three and a half years who's been the convening authority in this case, third commander of wow. MARSOC. Uh, so we've got some problems, no. and this is not improving morale. No. Now, who's the uh, liaison you said out of Louis Gomez's office? It's uh, Derek Miller. He's uh, the military legislative assistant for Congressman Louis Gomert. All right. I had the pleasure of meeting Louis um, a couple of times. And it's funny, he has a memory like an elephant. I met him once just for yes. a few a moments. Uh, he was standing next to a friend of mine chatting with her. And I went to say hi to her and got introduced. And then several years later, mm-hmm. in the same location, same people, it was a South Carolina Tea Party Coalition convention. He remembered me. That was what I found very amazing. Uh, you don't find people don't, with memories that good. Yes. Don't sell short Congressman Gomer at all. He is a oh, never. the reason he has passion passion for this case and is he He's a judge. used to be an army yeah, he was an army staff judge advocate and he has a strong law background and he knows when when the pitch you know, was inside or outside, and he clearly called this the way he sees it is you know, this is unlawful command influence. So these Marines in this Navy corpsman's lives right now are in the balance. They're under fire, and they need American support. So if you would consider taking action, that is what I'm requesting. Also, read the book. It fills you in on the details of where people cross lines. Uh, this is not a book of Fred Galvin's feelings or conjecture, embellishment, or hearsay. <clears throat> this is the facts as they were presented in a courtroom, in a courtroom which you, the people of the United States of America, were not allowed to hear both sides. And so kangaroo courts may go on in Pyongyang, Tehran, but not in the United States of America, nor the United States Marine Corps, which read the book and you'll see this. this isn't something – this isn't a fiction book. This actually happened. This book is, you know, I had three different uh, <clears throat> social media platforms. <clears throat> they created personas for me. I tried to say that I was crazy, going to kill myself. Uh, I had to tell Twitter, like, shut this down for weeks uh, because people are trying to, for some reason, in the last six months since the book's been announced coming out, they don't want this information. Somebody doesn't want this information coming out. But uh, the Marine Corps still hasn't said a word. This isn't going to go on the commandant's reading list. It's not going to be sold, in, uh, which when it's not allowed to be sold in, on base bookstores to our service members, and you're covering something, that's more along the lines of censure. We, mm-hmm. Our First Amendment rights should not tolerate things like that. Americans, especially those who are serving or will serve, need to know about these moral hazards that exist and that will affect that this is the largest employer in the United States. And so we cannot yeah. tolerate these types of I mean, no. let's call for what it is. It's, it's crime. Unlawful command influence uh, demoralizes the military, the service members, and those sons and daughters who have honorably answered their country's call cannot be subjected to this in the future. 
No, they can't. Well, I'm definitely having you come back on. I'll get a hold of you and see if we can do even more time because half an hour is not long enough to speak with you. <laughs> not at all. Not with all the different subjects that we've just crawled over uh, because it is a fascinating, fascinating story because as I was reading it, I do remember reading that some of it in the news uh, as some of this was going on, uh, but I never followed up. But as far as I know, Judicial Watch, I believe, is – uh, helping you in a lawsuit because not only were you demoted uh, before you retired, but you were able to get back your your. Uh, uh, oh, I, I just had a major brain fart. Major uh, brain. Your rank, oh. thank you, rank uh, to major, but you were supposed to have been promoted to lieutenant colonel, and that was denied. Oh. And I believe that if I got that correct, that you're still fighting for that. Well, to be clear, I wasn't demoted in a rank sense, but uh, I was slandered and uh, labeled this you know, mass murderer that the military, they didn't use legal terms at the end of our war crimes trial. They waited four months, and they used non-legal terms. They said we acted appropriately. So a legal term, whether it's innocent, guilty, dismissed, that sets the record straight, and the media understands what that means. Lawyers understand what that means. When you use milling-mouth words saying you acted appropriately, that allowed for eight years until after I retired and no longer had this gag order on me. It allowed the media to say they didn't say they were innocent and write these drive-by hit articles saying Fred Gal to include the day I retired and as well that same year on the high holiday for the Marine Corps, the Marine Corps birthday. They stated that mm-hmm. you know we killed 19 and wounded 50. This was the largest number of alleged, falsely alleged Afghan civilians that were killed. And so, but the Marine Corps never put it out. They never officially declared, even after the late Congressman Walter Jones put out, uh, sponsored House Resolution 21 in the 115th Congress, stating that this was, uh, he wanted the Commandant to make a public statement that the Marines and our task force were not at fault in the ambush on 4 March 2007. The Marine Corps the comment on the Marine Corps sat on that for two years, did nothing in that 115th Congress. And uh, that shows you to this day, and with the release of those people said, are you, do you think you're going to be attacked? No. I mean, the Marine Corps has been radio silent, has made no comments, uh, and they're not going to take any action. They've been pressured by bipartisan, bicameral U.S. legislatures and did nothing. So this type of absolute power needs to be fixed. It has not been fixed. It's a clear moral hazard that's going to continue to affect with all the active reserve civilian and contractors in the military. This is, until just recently, not just the largest, but it overwhelmingly was larger than the next two employers, Amazon and Walmart, in America. So more Americans as employees and their families are affected by this type of unlawful command influence in this, you know, the unethical conduct of senior officers, and that has to be wiped out of America. Yeah, we're, we're not recruiting good military material anymore because those that, like you, that would have served honorably are afraid, like, well, if I sneeze the wrong way, what's going to happen to me? I mean... We were facing that, you know, in the, in the, I'm a retired law enforcement officer, NYPD. I mean, we were facing that already. Well, if I sneeze the wrong way, you know, if someone pulls the camera out and the, yeah. 
and it looks all wrong. What's going to happen to me? Why serve? Why would someone want to serve yes. today under these conditions? I mean, I, I, my heart breaks for when I see what's happening out there. And when I see what's happening right. in the military, my heart really breaks. And the question is, would you serve today or would you recommend someone to serve today? How do you answer that? Yes and yes. And because I know we need a strong national defense. If it's just a bunch of yes sirs or yes ma'ams, then we're, we're going to be perceived weaker than we're perceived right now, Ann. And, you know, on the law enforcement side, when, when there's not cops out on the beat, you know, then that gap is going to be instantly filled. They, they will realize, like, hey, I can get away with crime. And look what's going on, which has not been reported in the news, not the mainstream media, with North Korea launching missile after missile after missile again. And why aren't we – I mean, that's yeah. one of the client states of China – and now China is accelerating not just their military, you know, their their uh, capital expenditures and in, in, you know their war fighting and their ships and oh, that's, you know, that's their a whole forces. nother show. Yeah, that's yeah. a whole but, other show. Well, I've, I've got my next guest in on the line, uh, but Fred, definitely oh, we're going to make arrangements for you to come back and we can talk. And like I said, easily, easily an hour because I went with General Spaulding for almost a full hour just on China alone. So you get me started. We're going down that rocky road. Don't even throw in Afghanistan at the moment and its effect on China and Iran and Korea. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, people can find your book up on Amazon. Get the Audible, get the hard copy, get the Kindle uh, there. A Few Bad Men, the true story of U.S. Marines ambushed in Afghanistan and betrayed in America. Major Fred Galvin, thank you for your service, and we will be talking soon. Thank you. I salute you. Thank you, Major. Thank you, Vito. God God bless you. All right. Uh, Check it out up on Amazon. Click on the link on the show page and get his book. we got to spread the word on that one. So we got our next victim in on the line. Haven't spoken to him in a while. Well, that's my bad because I haven't made the phone call to bring him back in. But welcome back to the show, Robert Spencer, the founder, and he is Jihad Watch, which you can find at jihadwatch.org. Good afternoon, Robert. How are you today? Just great, Annie. Thanks. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fine. I mean, we're hitting so much in the news today. I, Your head spins. You know, you're afraid to even turn the TV on to look at the news because you don't know what this administration, this crazy administration, is going to pull on us next. Oh, my goodness. And the stuff that is happening around us, how do you keep up? Because you've got your wonderful site, Jihad Watch, which I've been getting your newsletters since, oh, good Lord, I have no idea how long. Well, I just don't – I don't do anything else, so it's easy for me to keep up. Um, but uh, you're right. Things are happening very fast. It's hard to think that the Biden administration is not doing its destructive work on purpose because they can't be this stupid, you know, and they're doing so much to destroy the country. Uh, I don't think that it's really in doubt anymore that this is a plan, this is an agenda they're following. Uh, it is. It has to be. I mean, it, it's too orchestrated. Uh, it, it just, it's, it's just really weird. I mean, 
there's a puppet behind there, and uh, there's a puppet master behind. Uh, I'm going to call him uh, Obama Biden. It's Obama. <laughs> but I think the yeah, it is Obama who's the puppet master. But there's also others behind Obama that are the puppet master. So it's layer upon layer upon layer, swamp upon swamp upon swamp. And you've got a new book out, which I was told I have to mention. Of course I will for you anything, darling. The Critical Quran Explained from Key Islamic Commentaries and Contemporary Historical Research. I managed to do that without messing it up too badly. How nice. Yeah, thanks, Dan. I appreciate you mentioning it. It's still a threat. Yeah, and it still exists. This gives you the ideology. Go ahead. Uh, good, uh, because you heard that as we were talking to um, the uh, previous guest, uh, Major Fred Galvin, we were starting to talk about Iran. And Iran, because this administration is so weak, has said, you know, put the finger up in the air at us. They're rebuilding the nuclear arsenal. They have enough to make a nuclear weapon. And now they've gone so far as to turn off the cameras in the plants so the inspectors can't see what's going on. Oh, that's right. They wouldn't let the inspectors in the plant to begin with. That's why the cameras were there. We're going to hell in a handbasket, Robert. Yeah, well, you know, they're doing it with impunity because they know that Joe Biden wants an agreement with Iran no matter what. And so they know that they can do anything like turn off the uh, U.N. cameras. No problem. Joe Biden's not going to do anything. He'll still try to appease them. They know that. They've sized him up, and so they're taking his full advantage. Yeah, well, now you want to throw in the fact that um, they may want to talk about decertifying uh, or whatever you want to call it, the um, Revolutionary Guard in Iran so that they can get the oil from Iran. I mean, what are they thinking? These are our enemies you shut down the oil here in the United States so that we're dependent upon a foreign entity that wants us dead, that wants death to America. And then you decertify the worst military arm of those terrorists and say, no, that's okay. And as yeah, Fred said, is, uh, are we really actually, heading into World War Three? Yeah, we could be. And this is one of the reasons why I was saying that they must be doing this on purpose. They couldn't be this stupid. Uh, they have, we had achieved energy independence. It wouldn't be hard to get it back, and they don't want us to get it back. They want us to suffer, and they we're, are willing to empower the Islamic Republic of Iran, global support for terrorism. So they're not idiots. They want this. They want the United States weakened. They want Iran stronger. This is a traitor class that is in charge of the United States right now. Man, this, this is absolutely crazy because now Russia is going into a partnership with Iran. What is that all about? Well, that's part of the deal, as a matter of fact. You know, you mentioned that uh, the cameras were only in Iran because they wouldn't let the inspectors in. And another thing that the Iranians won't do is negotiate with Americans. And so do you know what the Biden administration did to pursue their nuclear negotiations with Iran? They gave them to Russia. So while we are countering Russia fighting Ukraine, 
and trying to aid the Ukrainians. At the same time, we're trusting the very same Russians to negotiate a deal with us for with Iran for us. And the deal is so bad that the Russian negotiator who is negotiating on our behalf gave an interview not too long ago, and he was saying, uh, this is a great deal. The Iranians have pushed for everything they wanted, and they've gotten all of it and more. And it's a great deal for Iran and a great deal for China. It's also a great deal for Russia. He didn't mention that, but the Russians have a, an arrangement with the Iranians that they're going to help them build more nuclear plants. And so the deal is terrific for Iran, for China, and for Russia, but not for the United States. Now, here again, are the Biden people just total idiots, or do they no. hate America and they want to weaken it? There you go. <laughs> uh, this is my guest co-host uh, today, Vito Esposito of Mamma Mia No Sharia, a global patriot radio. Um, <laughs> He's a good person to be on the show with, too. You know, uh, at one point, there was a huge Iranian resistance, and there still is a large community up in California. Uh, but now, it's have they lost all hope because of this administration? Is there any hope of overthrowing uh, the Islamic extremists in, in, in Iran? Yeah, there is hope, uh, and... At the same time, the, the uh, Iranian dissidents have lost hope of getting any help from America, uh, and it is something that is in the uh, uh, quite recent news. There was an Iranian dissident who was interviewed saying that we still had held out hope that the Biden administration was going to help us, but now we've given that up, and we know that we're on our own, but he was still confident that the Iranian people could overthrow the regime without any help from America. So we'll see uh, whether that happens or not, but certainly we can hope that it will. The Iranians are very angry with the government because the government has gotten quite a lot of money from Barack Obama a few years ago and from mm -hmm. Joe Biden already easing sanctions, even though they don't have the deal concluded yet. And uh, the, the Iranian government hasn't spent that money on the Iranian people. It has spent that money on terrorist groups, uh, Hamas, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and Hezbollah. And so the Iranian people know this, and they are suffering a great deal economically. They are angry with the regime. And so the regime could fall, but it will be no thanks to the United States if it does. Yeah, now, Robert, with the, go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead, Vito. Uh, hi, Robert. This is Vito, and uh, you are one of the icons of, of this entire um, movement, and thank you for all the work that you do and you are doing. And uh, I, I revere your work. I read your books. Uh, I absolutely love what you do. Uh, you posted thank you. On Much your, appreciate it. Well, you posted on your webpage uh, a, a tweet from Ayatollah Khomeini, on uh, June the 8th, um, you talk about how everybody is coming down on Twitter except why is Twitter still have uh, the Ayatollah or allow the Ayatollah Khomeini to post uh, anti-Israel uh, hate speech? Are we missing something here? No, no, we're not missing anything. 
it's because Twitter also, like the Biden administration, is uh, in lo- aligned with the enemies of the United States and the enemies of Israel. And so it's just it's actually quite consistent for Twitter to ban Trump and allow Khamenei to post. Uh, you, we should be surprised if they did anything different because <laughs> they're on the side of the global jihad and on the side of the global left. That's quite clear. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, we we look at the situation and we think about only just the Middle East, but we really do have to be worried right here at home, don't we? Oh, sure. Well, you know, um, we don't know what's going to happen. The other shoe hasn't dropped yet, but we know that there were 43 people on the terrorism watch list who were arrested crossing the border from Mexico last year. And that's just the ones we know about. We can be sure that if those guys were caught, then there were others who weren't caught. And so we don't know what's going to happen with them. But we know that the, the jihad terrorists are not fools. They're not idiots. And they can see that the border is open. They can see that uh, Biden has lost control of the situation. And so they're going to be taking advantage. We don't know what form it's going to take, but we know also that the uh, law enforcement and intelligence services in the United States, they're not looking for jihadis. They're looking for white supremacists. They're looking for Trump supporters. So they're not going to stop jihadis. It's only a matter of time before all this foolishness becomes lethal. Well, Robert, how much yeah. is that influence of the Muslim Brotherhood that that uh, Biden has let back into the White House and uh, basically mm. has a room in the White House? And so who are his advisors with regards to this? Well, yeah, there's no doubt. He promised while he was campaigning or whatever it was he was doing that uh, he spoke uh, via Zoom, of course, before a Muslim Brotherhood-linked group engage, which was which is uh, – uh, a Muslim political group in the United States that's linked to all these Muslim Brotherhood organizations. And anyway, he promised them that he would appoint Muslims to every level of his administration. And that is something that we you know when you're doing, when you're saying that to a Muslim Brotherhood group, you're just making it very clear who's in charge and what kind of people, what kind of Muslims you're going to be appointing. And so the Biden administration has followed through on that. And so we got Muslim Brotherhood operatives all through the government. And they have, they, that has an effect on foreign and domestic policies. Yeah, well, you know, how much of it can we also tr- trace the Muslim Brotherhood to Black Lives Matter and to Antifa? I've been asking that question for quite a long time. And th- there has to be a direct con- a connection between those three groups. They don't, it doesn't spring up out of just thin air. Someone has to be directed, because if you notice how Antifa used a lot of tactics and even clothing very similar to the Muslim Brotherhood jihadists. Um, and we're finding one after another jihadists showing up here in the United States. You heard about it just recently. Uh, this one guy, Kazmanov, uh, who was in New York City collecting money for the uh, jihadi to join the Muslim the uh, Islamic State. Uh, you have a man down in New Jersey that was eyeing various 
locations for numerous years uh, in New York for attacking. You know, the uh, he was looking at the Statue of Liberty among many of the other yeah, areas. Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Well, the thing um, is, the, you have. The, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. You also have another New Jersey man convicted of receiving military-type training from Hezbollah, as well as being caught in marriage fraud because he wanted this wife to come in uh, to the United States and said, oh, no, I didn't marry her so that she can come to the United States. Marriage fraud and false statements. You know, there is example after example, unless we forget that these were immigrants, I bet legally, that attacked the World Trade Center both times on 93. I, hope I was on duty that day in 93 inside the 90 precinct in, Manhattan, in Brooklyn, right across the bridge from the World Trade Center. Um, and again in 9-11. There is going to be another attack here on, on the United States. Am I looking at this wrong? No, I think you're absolutely right. It's only a matter of time. Uh, and Biden is allied with the forces that support this kind of thing. The Muslim Brotherhood's motto is the Quran is our constitution, jihad is our way, and so on. And so that's not really significantly different from the uh, ethos of al-Qaeda or ISIS. And this is this kind of thing is going to be playing out in America. We don't know how or when, but we know that he's certainly creating the conditions where these guys can operate more or less freely. Yeah, and we're also seeing worldwide attacks on non-Muslims, especially Christians, uh, by Muslim terrorists. And it's not just in Muslim countries. It's spreading throughout Europe, and it's going to be coming here very soon. Certainly. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, the thing is, is that when you have large numbers of Muslims in a society, there are going to be some who believe in the teachings about jihad and wage jihad. And there are going to be some who, as a result, they uh, attack non-believers. And yet, somehow, the authorities in the United States and in Europe think it's going to be different this time or that it's not going to happen. And there's no reason to think that. It's not as if there's been some reformation or change in Islamic theology uh, and there's not been some rejection of jihad, the jihad ideology. So why would they think that it's going to be anything different from what we have seen for 1,400 years? There's absolutely no basis for thinking that. Now, here's the question, because um, everyone goes, oh, uh, Turkey, Erdogan is a friend of the United States. But didn't he just recently threaten Greece? Uh, wait yes, a minute, can did. we go back to the early 19, uh, 1900 when there was a massive uh, execution of Assyrian Catholics in Turkey? But at one point, Turkey was a center of Christianity, and Christianity has basically been kicked out of Turkey, just about. Mm-hmm. So why should we think yeah. he's a friend of ours at all? a hangover from the Cold War, and for over 20 years I have been calling for a reconfiguration of our alliances based on the new realities post 9-11, uh, but 
this was not done. And our alliances are still based on the idea of the Soviet Union and the United States being the two great powers. And in that worldview, Turkey was on our side. But Turkey is clearly not. It's not just Erdogan, but other Turkish officials have spoken openly about resisting and opposing the United States under, in various scenarios and under various circumstances. This is not the speech of an ally, and it shouldn't be something that we tolerate, but with a traitor class in Washington, it's not surprising that nobody seems to care. Now, this is, it's, it's getting to be very, very scary, and only because people like you are raising the alarm is this word ever getting out that something is going on out there, uh, which is why the work you do is so very, very important. Because uh, just trying to do the research on just this subject alone, again, you know, after I told Fred he could probably be on the show for an hour easily, you probably even closer to two hours. You know, we had, um, we gave up Afghanistan. I mean, we just threw our hands up in the air and just turned it back over to Al-Qaeda. But wait a minute. Yes. Weren't we told that sure. Al-Qaeda was severely degraded, but yet now the U.N. is warning us that it has now become a safe haven for Al-Qaeda there? What do we think yeah, was going to happen? Behold, Joe Biden lied to us. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought Joe Biden, Mr. Trustworthy, would have lied to us? It's just astonishing. I thought everything he said could be taken as, as absolute truth. Um, yeah, he, he lied, and al-Qaeda is back in Afghanistan. Um, I think that that was inevitable. There was really no doubt at any point that that was going to happen. But Joe Biden was trying to put a good face on things and claim, uh, claim that the mission had been accomplished, but the catastrophic way he mishandled the withdrawal in the first place made it difficult for him to sustain the idea that this whole thing had been some kind of victory, and now it's even clearer that it wasn't, and it never was. Well, uh, Robert, my co-host, uh, Vito Esposito, had to drop out, but I have a special guest co-host who just called in. He's he's my my. My buddy. <laughs> I love this man dearly. Uh, former Congressman Ted Yoho is now joining with us here. And, Ted, we've got Robert Spencer of Jihad Watch with us. How are you today, Ted? Annie, I'm doing great. And, Robert, you're doing a great job. I've been listening to you for the last 10 minutes. Thank you. Appreciate that. No, I think you're right yeah. on. And I appreciate it. Well, you know, I want to Much spin obliged. a little bit more because uh, with Afghanistan falling, and the Taliban now in charge, which we knew was going to happen the day we gave up Afghanistan. No sooner were we out the door, Taliban turned around and made agreements with China. Lo and behold, why? Because China wants the rare earth minerals that Afghanistan has. Plus, it's a pathway to the rest of the Middle East. So now China can control the Middle East with the oil and precious uh, rare earth metals. And what does our administration go and do? Lower the tariff on Chinese goods and encourage us to get solar panels and buy more electric cars, which require batteries and other 
things made with rare earth minerals from China. Now, do we see a little bit of a strange thing happening here, Robert? Well, sure, but it's just a matter of nature abhors a vacuum, you know. Uh, We left, and when we left, the circumstances of our leaving were so uh, chaotic that they didn't allow for the establishment or the maintenance of any economic connections or any ongoing economic presence in the country. Maybe if Joe Biden's military had not been concentrating on being woke, being woke and on uh, impl- studying critical race theory and all that nonsense, maybe if instead they had formulated, spent some time to formulate a withdrawal plan from Afghanistan that would have been not just military, but also taking into account economic reality, then maybe the Chinese wouldn't have had any foothold. But as it is, the, the, they, we left, they rushed in. It's just common sense. Anybody who was in a position to do that should have done it, and they did. Uh, Chad, what are you seeing? No, I think he's right on, and I'd like to get Robert's opinion. Um, you know, everybody talks about Biden, what he's doing, and you know what he hasn't done, or like you just articulated with um, China removing the tariffs, or doing what he did to our uh, energy independence that under President Trump we had. But I want people to focus, and I want to get your opinion on this, Robert. Um, what we see today is not really so much Joe Biden, or I refer to him as the O'Biden president, because he's got that pretty much in place. I feel this is an extension of Barack Obama five days before his inauguration. We're five days from fundamentally. Chad, okay, you keep on yeah, dropping you out. out there. But I yeah, know I what you're, you're talking about saying... because uh, yeah. yeah, fundamentally transforming America. And mm-hmm. um, not only did Barack Obama say that, but Biden also said that not bef- not long before he took office that uh, they were he was going to fundamentally transform America. And I thought, oh, that's just what Obama said. And not only that, but uh, Biden has many times made it clear that he's not the man in charge. He has said, you know, I'm going to get in trouble if I take any questions here. Well, who's he going to get in trouble with? He's the boss. And uh, he says, I'm supposed to call on this one. And they've told me I should call on you next when he's having his staged fake press conferences. And uh, the whole idea that is conveyed is that he's not in charge, that somebody else is pulling the strings. And then we have that video of Obama saying, yeah, he would like a third term. And the best scenario would be if he had a puppet and he would talk to him in his earpiece or something while he's sitting in sweats in his basement. And I think, well, you know, maybe that's where we are now. Maybe uh, that's what's happening. But as Annie noted before, that doesn't mean that Obama is the guy running things because it may be that he himself is a puppet all in turn for someone else. Yeah, which is what I had I thought about before. <laughs> Excuse me. But this is all I Annie, think I'm part back. of the great 
I see you, Ted. I got your back. Um, I think it's all part of helping to do the great reset because we're getting attacked in our society from so many different angles, whether it's from wokeness, uh, whether it's from these lockdowns, whatever the latest thing is, uh, whether or not it's now this Department of Disinformation Governance, uh, now opening up, uh, releasing the tariffs to China so we get more Chinese goods and more solar panels coming in killing the American businesses, cutting off our oil production, being dependent upon foreign oil production. We are no longer an independent nation any longer, but dependent on everyone else because of this administration. Is this the real reset now, the great reset everyone's been talking about? Yeah, I think so. And it goes back to Obama once again. You know, I remember when Obama was running for president the first time in 08, and he was photographed reading with great interest a book by Fareed Zakaria from CNN, The Post-American World. And The Post-American World essentially says that the uh, United States has to be weakened politically, militarily, and economically, and that will bring peace to the world because the United States is the sole superpower and it's the focus of all this hatred, and it causes all this trouble. So we weaken America, then everybody, every place is pretty much the same as every other place. There's no more trouble. And it seems to me that Obama and now Biden both are pursuing that strategy pretty uh, consistently. Well, then they're also aided by individuals such as uh, uh, George Soros, uh, with these, uh, uh, what do you call them, these prosecutors that they're electing, and these rogue prosecutors, now lessening, even no longer misdemeanors are going to be arrested or tried or prosecuted. Uh, there's no bail, uh, even though you may have committed murder. doesn't matter. Uh, the allowance of illegal aliens to continue to come into the nation And we don't know where they're going because they no longer have enough room in the original processing centers, so they send them out to hotels, courtesy of the taxpayer dollars, and then into the rest of America with a little tap on the hand going, well, appear in immigration court, and then they just disappear. Oh, yeah, they have a bracelet that they're supposed to wear, but as soon as they get off the bus or off the plane, they cut it off and throw it away. So, you know, they are undermining the very fabric of everything that makes us America. Forget about law and order. Forget about the rule of law. Forget about morals. Forget about even religion. God, heaven forbid you stand on a street corner and you preach. You'll probably be ended up for being a public nuisance arrest. But they won't arrest you if you run four red lights in Washington State. It, it, we have gone crazy. Yep. But see, it's only a traitor class that would do this. It's only an entity that really wants to see America fall, America destroyed. That's the only people that would want to pursue policies of this kind. And so it's the only thing that makes sense of it, that they know what they're doing. They want this. Yeah. (laughs) Ted, put your two cents in. No, I, I think it's very well orchestrated. Um, you know, this goes back beyond the Clintons, and uh, I heard Robert say, who's directing this? 
um, we can just say it's the one world, the elite state, whatever you want to call it, but understand it is being very well orchestrated and very well played out in front of us. Um, again, if you look at um, Hillary Clinton was a student of Saul Alinsky, then you have the Clower Pivens. These things have been going against our, our society uh, since the 60s, if not a little bit. And um, I heard Elon Omar say, the only way you're going to fix America is destroy it economically and bring down the political class, and then we can rebuild it in the form of equity. Those things will never happen. I mean, in the world, you'll never have equity in the world. And if America fails, there's not going to be a safe haven in the world. Indeed. No, there won't be. There won't be. We're the last great hope. And if we, we really fall are. and fail. But, you know, I do have faith in the voters because I think there's a red wave coming. Already California alone um, had said, hey, in San Francisco, you know, you're, you're a prosecutor over there. is rogue. What are we calling him? And they're kicking him out. Now they're going after the one possibly in Los Angeles. I think even the uh, blue states are starting to say maybe we do have problems here. I agree with you on that. And um, it's time that they do that. But if we get a red wave, it'll only be as good as the Speaker of the House that they elect. I served with Kevin McCarthy for eight years. Kevin is a nice man, but he is not a leader that would lead this country. And um, I've been on record saying that we need somebody that can paint a picture and help the Congress um, look 10 to 20 years into the future and set policies in place that the next administration can. Um, and I think it's so important we do that. A good example is our Department of Energy that was created to create American energy independence. When we get to that point, and they've never done it, President Trump did it, but when we get to that point, the legislation ought to say this is the policy for America's energy independence, and it can only be changed in the course of a national emergency or if it goes through both sides of the House and the Senate uh, instead of it on the whim of a president. What do you think about that, Robert, Annie? Sounds great. Yep, that's it. We That's what we need, all right. But we first need an American president who would do that. We do, but we need also the body in the House and in the Senate, and it's so important to have a leader, um, um, the Speaker of the House, that will bring up and direct legislation that will live beyond that, that person's lifetime. Uh, I'll give you a great example that I saw being on foreign affairs was the JCPOA, the Iran nuclear deal, and the Paris uh, uh, Climate Accord. Those were done unilaterally by John Kerry and Barack Obama. So Obama binds our country to that. It didn't go through the Senate for uh, ratification. Um, And then you get President Trump comes in and takes us out, and then President Biden comes in and puts us back into those. Take that step back from that and look at it from the perspective of one of our allies. You know, America's in today, they're gone, and then they're back. And so it erodes the credibility of our nation. 
if Congress, and we tried to do this on uh, on some policies that we put forward, but if Congress would pass this legislation or block things until it's ratified through both chambers, or the Senate would be the one that votes on it to ratify it, it would be very hard for a president to change it unless they work bipartisanly with the House and the Senate. And until we do that, we're going to have the, we're in today, we're out tomorrow, we're back in, and it's going to erode the direction uh, and confuse the direction of this nation. Yes, absolutely. Well, I just want to mention, I see someone just called into the studio, so if this is my next guest, please raise your, press the number one on your keypad, and that way I know it's you, because um, I am waiting for the next guest to call in. You know, there's so much out there. We we have allowed the left, the wokeness, to cow us, to shame us, to shut us up. And, Ted, you know about this. I mean, they came after you viciously. Um, oh, terribly. Even when, yeah. Uh, but instead, of, we have to be able to push back, to stand our ground and say, no, you're not going to tell me how to think or how to live my life. The same way I'm not going to tell you how to think or live your life. We either get along or we don't. So if I like my God and my guns, I like my moral values, I like having a family unit around me, and I don't believe in certain things, that's my business. Leave me alone. Don't touch my freedoms. Don't touch my liberties. Don't take away my rights. But... That's not how they think. Unless they are unhappy, unless they're angry, unless they can control you, they're not satisfied. Whereas we go along to get along. And I think we've got to stop that. We've got to be able to push back. Am I looking at this right or wrong, Robert? You're absolutely right. It's a fundamentally totalitarian idea. The left, you know, like David Horowitz says, inside every progressive is a totalitarian screaming to get out. And that's really very true. It's a little quip, but there's a lot of wisdom to it because, uh, like you say, they never want to just let us alone with our different point of view. Rather, they have to control everyone and not allow for any kind of free independent thought. And so this is why the nation's institutions are breaking down because they don't respect them and they're bypass as ted was just actually explaining they just ignore the established procedures that were set in place in the u.s government because they're inconvenient to them they 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 ignore them and they know since they're the ones in charge nobody's going to stop them yeah Go ahead, Ted. I didn't mean to cut you off. I was going to say that's a great point because they change the rules as they go. And did did, did you guys watch the hearings last night on um, no, uh, January 6th? Yeah. I had I, to watch I, it. I didn't want to watch it, but I, I watched it. And history started January 6th because of Donald Trump and what he did. Um, really just – really, really disappointed in Liz Cheney um, for the things that she said in there. This all started by Donald Trump in January 6th. 
Donald Trump, people need to, and, and this goes back and puts things in perspective. Donald Trump was not the problem. Donald Trump is a system or a symptom of the underlying problem. And that underlying problem is the fundamentally changing of America. You know, to be told that uh, we're a systemic racist country, you know, um, the whole LGBT and the, the, the transgender in uh, kindergarten and all that stuff, those are the fundamental changes that are going against the values that we've had for over 200 years. And so Indeed. they look at Donald Trump as a cause. He is a symptom. And I think the question that really needs to be asked is, how did Donald Trump come about to get elected? And it was the anger of that portion of the populace that voted in him. It's like me. How did I get elected for a guy that's never been in politics and ran against a 24-year incumbent in my own party that had $2.5 million in the bank? It was because people were fed up with Washington, all the politicians not doing what they're supposed to for the betterment of this country. And, uh, you know, that we can go on and on on those kind of examples. So the underlying problem is still there, and it's the fundamental changing we're seeing now. And, um, Robert, you do a lot with um, um, countering radical jihadis, and I'm sure you're aware of that book of uh, Samuel Huntington's Class of Civilizations. Oh, yeah. Well, we're seeing that play out right in front of us right now. And we're seeing the fundamentally changing of America. And um, I was in a hearing, it was about a year and a half, two years, um, before I retired, before the election. And that hearing was through foreign affairs. I was the only Republican that went to it. And it was on white national supremacy as the biggest threat to our national security. This is a year and a half to two years before the election, uh, the last election, presidential election. And so they were geared up. My belief is they knew this election was going to go to Biden. And so they knew there was going to be a lot of angry people. And it was the same people that started the Tea Party. It was the same people that voted Trump in there. And it's because they are trying to fundamentally change this country. And I used to say into a socialist country, but it's a Marxist country is where we're heading. Oh, yeah. That's for sure. And they put the place, the pieces in place, like you were saying, so that, and Annie, you brought this up, if you say something against them, you're already automatically guilty. And, um, you know, these things have been put in place because they plan for this time, and we need to have a way to get out of this. Yeah, so it has to be a counter-revolution, but it has to be a ballot box revolution. We can't go and promote, you know, violence just for the sake of violence. Uh, No, we can't do that. Would would there be a time down the road where we would have no option? That's a possibility. Our founding fathers had to take that, that option, but we have to be really, really pushed, which is why it says that, you know, in our founding documents that we're normally complacent people, but when we are pushed to that point, it is our right and it is our duty to usurp the tyranny. Um, We haven't gotten that far, but we started with a ballot box revolution, and that's going to be coming up in November. The question I have to ask you and your listeners, Robert, is do you wait till you get to that point 
to where you can't undo it? Or do you get, wait? Because I see if you wait to that point, you've got gun control or confiscation. You've got people putting on no-fly lists. You, you, and, you know, uh, will be under the good uh, citizen score like they do in China. And so can you come out of that or do you uh, circumvent it and act uh, more proactive? And I'm not advocating violence, but I think this next election is going to be a good indicator of how things are going to go in the future. Yeah. I mean, right here in – Right here in South Carolina District 1, we've got that going on right now. We got rid of Beer Can Joe. We ended up with Nancy Mace. And a lot of us aren't too happy with her. So we've got another one, possibly Katie Arrington. But we'll, we'll see. I mean, it, it's, the grassroots are becoming active again. We may not call it a tea party, even though I still have mine since 2009, still running it. Um, but... You can feel the rumblings. There are people starting to coalesce and say, hey, let's start working together. Let's get these bums out of here. Time to turn it around. They really are. Yeah. And they don't understand. The left doesn't understand. Hey, listen, uh, you may use social networks and everything else. We're learning. We're, We're following in your footsteps. But we also work more quietly than you do. They're overt. We're more covert. And I think they're going to be very surprised what happens. Honestly, but that's just my take. It's what I'm seeing happening here. Matter of fact, I got my GOP meeting tonight, <laughs> and I'm delivering the Republican creed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what's man. funny is the Republican creed or the the platform of the Republican Party. You know, when you read through that, and then when you're up there in D.C., they're not following it. Um, no. You know, you talk about budgets, you talk about abortion, you talk about these things, and they don't do it. Steve King's got a great book. It's called My Walk Through the Fire, uh, Fight for the Heart and Soul of America. And um, Steve got ostracized by the Republican Party um, because of the pressure of Nancy Pelosi and the squad, and then Kevin McCarthy went along with it. But in that book of Steve's, he talks about how he had the heartbeat bill, had 247 co-sponsors on it. Kevin gave him a target of like 225. Steve exceeded that. At that at that level of co-sponsors, he would bring it up. He killed that and never let it come to a vote. That was Kevin McCarthy, and um, but and that you know we're supposed to be um, pro-life, but that Kevin McCarthy worked against that. Yeah, well, that's that's the newest thing coming up now, The whether or not Roe v. Wade gets overturned. And I wish, well, I will be talking with the Heritage uh, Foundation, uh, Zach Smith, about uh, Kavanaugh, uh, that incident, yeah. and how it stemmed from that leak of the, uh, the first draft of the opinion. Uh, but they're right. finding ways, but, and it gets even more interesting which I'm going to talk with Zach, is that how it was leaked and the way it was leaked, knowing full well the sentiment it would stir up. So they are doing everything they can to usurp us by playing the public string. And, Robert, I've seen that all the time. I mean, Robert, you know, the second you 
to open your mouth, oh, you're an Islamophobe, oh, you're a racist. Uh, you see that all the time. They're going to use any single weapon, and if it calls, means calling you a foul name in public to embarrass you, they'll do that. And this is what we're fighting with, Robert, isn't this? Oh, yeah, sure. Well, that's that's a tactic, and obviously it works, or they wouldn't keep doing it. Uh, they scare people by using these terms because, you know, as Ted knows, a politician gets tarred with a word like that, Islamophobe or racist or something, it's political suicide. It's the end of the political career because the media never lets it, lets it go and the opposition starts to use it wherever you go and so on. And so that means that politicians, for the most part, are cowardly and don't uh, want to deal with these issues where the left uses this kind of tactic. And so it ends up that they don't end up challenging the leftist agenda, which was the idea all, to, all from the beginning. Yeah, you're absolutely it is. right. You know, <laughs> and you're the perfect example about that one, Ted. Boy, they tried to shut you up. Uh, well, they did. And, you know, that whole conversation, that whole conversation with AOC was questioning her policies, telling people it was okay to shoplift if you got laid off or couldn't work or pay your rent due to the pandemic. Well, number one, you couldn't have been evicted in New York City. Number two, you've got all these social programs, the food stamp programs, faith-based food pantries. So you've got all those things. But I have a member of of, of government that I serve with telling people blatantly that it's okay to go out and shoplift steel at the same time calling for defunding of the police department. And so the news, this is where I get aggravated with the news. The news, we try to get on there to say, you know, the, the real story is here. Why did I approach her? And it was about her policies. And nobody ever questioned her about, yeah, go out and steal if you can, uh, feed your family. It's okay. No, it's not. Um, and, and so they keep, get control of the narrative and uh, shut you down, and they go out of their way and are very good at it. And, of course, the media is complicit with it. And I called Brett Barrett Fox to try to get the story straight. He would never call me back. Mm. And so they're complicit. Yeah. (laughs) You're shocked. Oh, my goodness, you're shocked, Robert. (laughs) And the left wouldn't do something like that. Oh, man. If it if it doesn't lead, it doesn't lead according to the media. But then again, yeah, depending become... upon who it, who's doing the bleeding, whether or not it will be lead. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's uh, right. That's it. That's it right there, Annie. Because the they they have their narrative, and if it doesn't fit their narrative, it's not news. It doesn't exist. And Fox plays this game just as much as the Times and the Post and CNN and MSNBC. They sure do. Oh yeah. Yeah. They do. It's all about no, advertising yeah. dollars, too. Yeah, yeah. You follow the Benjamins. Uh, also follow where the money influences, who the investors are. Uh, because at one point in time, Fox was partnered with Al Jazeera, which I thought was very, very strange. And do you remember yes. that, Robert? When, uh, yeah. No, I don't no remember Fox that. being partnered with Al Jazeera, but it's, it doesn't surprise me. It's just they're they they're all in the same club. And we saw with the, the calling Arizona in five seconds on election night, yeah. they, they were in on the whole thing. 
Yeah, you know, sure it was, the fix was in, and they were there. They were major player. Yeah, it's very they, well they definitely were there. Yeah. Yep. I mean, look at the attacks that we have now on the January 6th uh, individuals. When they did that hearing last night, and I saw those film clips, the carefully well-edited film clips, and then I watched the members yeah. of Congress at that hearing uh, – what they were doing is they were lecturing everyone. They were reading off of a script, a teleprompter script, right. and no questions were asked, no cross-examinations, and the witnesses were very carefully scripted on what they can and cannot say. And Did you notice it, that? It, it, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Did, and That young lady very, very that was the police officer... Uh, my wife and oh, I yes, watched it, and she said, huh? She was groomed. Yeah, she said um, she made a slip. She goes, the protesters, and she goes, uh, the rioters. And we both looked mm-hmm. at each other like, you tell me she wasn't groomed, because if it's protest, it's peaceful protest like Antifa. You know, when we bring up rioters, oh, it's just peaceful protesters. You know, and you compare those two actions of the people that were there on January 6th. Granted, there were some bad players. I was up there on January 6th, and I saw um, a lot of just people you would see at a Tea Party rally or a Trump rally. But then I saw Black Lives Matters. I saw Antifa, and we saw uh, the uh, QAnons. But for them to say this was a massive uh, riot and insurrection of the Capitol, but yet Antifa out in Washington and Oregon, those are just peaceful protests. I, you know, it, they're controlling the narrative. Well, you know, what really got me crazy is that she said, oh, what really disturbs me and I have, I have problems with it was the, the shouting. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. I stood the riot yeah. line. <laughs> and all we had was a plastic shield and our riot helmets and our batons. All right. That's we right. Had you did. Guns. I forgot. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I've, I stood a lot of those riots, especially when they were in the 80s and early 90s yeah. up on Eastern Parkway in Brooklyn, where it was uh, the Hasidim Jew against Holy the black God. community. And then you also had later on with the 93 uh, World Trade Center bombing. And then you had the marches of the Muslims. Uh, I'm, I'm telling you, I stood those riots and I didn't end up with PTSD. And I don't know if that would be a cop I would want to have my back, honestly. If she gets frightened right. that easily. And who opened up those heavy, heavy doors? Uh, what is it, on Columbus Avenue? They have to be open from the inside. So who opened those doors? They have to be open from the inside. And those, those are hard to open by yourself because I've walked through those. And mm-hmm. um, they're electronically controlled and locked. And she said that they opened those doors from the outside. There's no way. It's impossible. Exactly. And that is a question I've been asking. All right. Now, I was hearing two weeks before the January 6th rally for Trump that there were vehicles being parked around the Capitol. And they were stashed with clothing. No one's ever questioned that. I mean, there's a lot of questions that are not being asked by this hearing committee. It's a farce. It is a theatrical farce. It's very well crafted. 
in order to put up the thing that it's white supremacy, it was an insurgency. No. It was planned, but not by the MAGA people. They knew that right. they get a couple of knuckleheads that will follow them through the doors. Then they can turn around and blame it on Trump. And all, that's all they needed, just yep. a couple of knuckleheads to follow them. And who were the cops that were waving people through? And why were the cops just standing in the hallway as people walked into the rotunda? No one stopped them. So there's a lot of questions not being asked. And what about the second woman that was killed? They always talk about Ashley Babbitt, but not about the second woman that was killed, that was beaten the one that by got that female trampled officer. trampled and beaten? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, they never talk yes. about her. So um, it's a one-sided, one-sided story. And, uh, Robert, people can find you up on Jihad Watch. And I'm, I have to mention your book again. <laughs> it's the critical, the critical, if I can say the straight, critical Quran, explained from key Islamic commentaries and contemporary historical research. And they can find it up on jihadwatch.org, correct? That's it. Thank you. All right, and what stories should we be looking at and looking for that coming up? Things that you are following you think are going to be important? Oh, well, uh, hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, General John Allen, that was an interesting thing. Uh, General John Allen, who was in charge of our troops in Afghanistan two years back, and big Hillary backer, big Democrat, accused of secretly lobbying for... Taliban supporters, and I thought, well, that's ah, I read that. This, this, this whole group, you know, it's just this huge traitor class, and there's yet more evidence of it. Yeah, I, I was reading about that one. Now, weren't they going after some of the Trump administration members that also had foreign interests, uh, saying that they were breaking the law? Uh, what, I forget what it is. I, Ted, you would know what it is. Going after the um, the people in the cabinet or the administration? Yeah, saying that they also were... Uh, the obstruction? A, a peddling foreign... Obstruction yeah, of justice? No, no, peddling foreign influence uh, because they had some oh, interest... Oh, the foreign... Yeah. Yeah, the Foreign, uh, Re- uh, foreign Agent Relations Act. Right, um, right, right. In violation of the FARA Act. Uh, but they went after Trump. But now, when this is mentioned, it don't see it anywhere else but up on Jihad Watch. That's interesting, Robert, isn't it? There's plenty of stories that are only on Jihad Watch, and uh, it's interesting. That's one of the things I try to do, actually, is to give a uh, provide the news that the uh, the established media would rather ignore and bury. Well, that's that's what you are doing. You do an excellent job on that one. Uh, uh, what I found interesting also is the rise of the unrest coming up in Nigeria, and it all seems to be against Christians. A lot of the Christian churches are being attacked recently in Nigeria, uh, and some of the priests are being kidnapped. I, I think that's something else that should be watched. Well, I'm watching and I'm covering it, and what's interesting to note is that the international media refuses to say that it's Muslims who are attacking the churches, but it's always churches, it's never mosques. You've got to wonder. 
and of course it's Fulani uh, herdsmen who were actually Islamic jihadis. But all this is covered up in the because it, here again it doesn't fit the media narrative. Yeah. Now, what That's is your right. opinion about this new Saudi uh, golf league? I'm hearing all different things about it. That's a lot of money being uh, dumped onto players that are, I shouldn't say dumped, but given to these players to woo them away from the PGA to the LIV. Uh, what's your well, take? Well, Annie, uh, yeah, very briefly, because i got a show, i got to run, but um, the, uh, the golf league is just part of their efforts to attract foreign investment, to make the country more attractive to foreign investors. They see the end of the oil economy coming, and we can see how much Biden is pushing for that. And so they're trying to open up in various ways, and this is part of that. Anyway, Annie, great talking to you, Ted. i got to run. Great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank Thank you you very much. Robert Spencer, uh, check him out over on jihadwatch.org. We're waiting for our, oh, Mark Tapscott to to call in. He should be calling in very shortly, Ted. Uh, So what should we be watching in the horizon coming up, Ted? I think the results of this um, January 6th hearing, and I think we know how it's going to turn out. I think there are... to somehow label Donald Trump not fit to run again or, uh, you know, time up with uh, some kind of charges where he can never run for office again. I think that's our ultimate goal of this. And I think it's also to intimidate people that dare challenge this administration, um, which is the extension of the Obama administration on fundamentally changing America. And I think we as Americans, we need to watch this next election. I don't think, uh, you know, it's the red wave has got to happen, but it's more important on who's going to direct the leadership of that. And like I said, Kevin McCarthy, I don't think, in my opinion, is the one to direct it because I've served with him and I've seen what he has done and it's going to be going with the wind or whoever pulls his strings. And so I think that's something we as voters really need to watch for. And then if they don't, we need to have uh, another plan of action. And that I'll be happy to talk to you about that. All right. Well, we got our next guest in from the Epic Times and also founder of Hill Faith, Mark Tapscott. Welcome, Mark. You had two weeks Hello, off. Ann. Now How are you? I get to I get to yank your chain some more. <laughs> Sorry about that. I was a minute late. Uh we'll forgive you. For you, honey, anything. Anytime, Hello. anything. We we were talking about uh that farce, farcical hearing they had uh, January sixth last night and it's going back on again tonight, isn't it? Oh, I think they have um, a whole series of them, 16 of them. Are, they, they envision that many. I don't know whether the nation will actually tolerate that many. Now, you need a barf bag. But uh, I've got uh, with me as a guest co-host, Cong- uh, former Congressman Ted Yoho with us. So you're in good company oh, today, Mark. how you doing? Good, Mark. How are you doing? Well, I am great. I uh, think I interviewed you a couple of times. I think you did, and I appreciate it. <laughs> I, I heard well, your comments you know, about Kevin McCarthy. Um, 
uh-huh. I, I, I think there are more than a few people uh, in the House Republican Caucus who share share your view. Well, there are. There's a lot. And, you know, if I can jump back to John Boehner, there were 70 members of Congress that said he had to go. And uh, when it came time to vote against John Boehner, there, the first time I voted against was my first Congress. Out of those uh, people, there was 10 of us. The second right. time, we had that group of 70 people, but when it came time to act, there was 11 of us. And yeah. um, Dan Webster wound up running with me and Louie Gomer, um, and we had 26 total that voted against him. So there's a lot of people that will have a lot of people that are afraid to act that way. It's just some good perspective. They said politicians worry about their next election. Statesmen worry about their next generations, and Washington yeah. has mm-hmm. too many politicians. Yeah. Well, yeah, I got. Uh, I got to tell well you. Uh, well, Ted, I got to tell you, when the question about Boehner becoming speaker again came up, I was texting my congressman Mark Sanford, and uh, he uh-huh. goes to my church sometimes, and uh, and I'm texting him and I'm going, Mark, tell me, tell me that you're not going to vote for Boehner. And he texts me back, and he says, you don't understand. This was a backroom deal done weeks ago. And I'm like, what? Now, Ted, was this a backroom deal that was done weeks ago? Um, there's a lot up there. I know when um, – uh, I haven't heard – are you talking about John Boehner running this time or last time when, last when time. we ran against him? No. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. There's. I found that out on the first time when I went up to Congress. There was 26 people that was going to vote against John Boehner, and I was the last person to vote. Everybody told me to vote for him because we only had nine people that voted against him. You know, I'm going to be true to my word, and so I voted against him. And I'm like, where are the rest of the you know 20 some people? What I found out is they didn't vote against them because they got committee assignments that they wanted, like on Ways and Means, or they got chairmanships or on the Judiciary Committee and oversight. And I'm like, you know, it goes back to politicians worry about their next election. They're not worried about their next generations. Yeah. Now, Mark, you had an interesting article up because, I, like I said, I barf bag in lab watched that hearing last night. Uh, but is there a real fear that the documents from this committee will not be preserved? Or, oh, gee, wait a minute, doesn't that sound familiar like the IRS um, shredding documents? Gee, do you think some of this stuff is going to, like, disappear? Well, far more important is, is what um, Congressman um, Rodney Davis, who is the ranking Republican on the House Administration Committee and presumably would become the chairman if, Uh, The Republicans do regain the majority in November. Uh, He is very concerned um, that documents that um, are absolutely critical to really getting to the bottom of what happened uh, and, in one sense, what didn't happen uh, on January 6th, that those documents will uh, be destroyed or in some ways altered um, before the... um, uh, Republicans actually 
take over um, in January of 2023. And I, the story you're referring to is a story I did yesterday that's gotten a lot of a lot of readership. I have to say I'm, I'm actually a little surprised at the uh, interest that it's gotten. Um, the letter is lengthy and detailed in terms of what uh, Davis uh, in, demanded. It's a demand letter of um, Chairman Thompson of the Select Committee on the Attack on the U.S. Capitol. Uh, it's very detailed and very comprehensive, and I think the, the fact that he was as detailed as he is in that letter um, is an indication of just how concerned he is about the integrity of the documents. Wow. Now, right now, one of the January 6th defendants is sitting in jail going on now 255 days. He's running for Congress. Uh Jeremy Brown out of Florida. And, yeah, he's running uh, for the Florida State State House. Florida State House, right. And yeah. he has a very interesting story because when I first read about him, uh, he was starting to blow the whistle saying, hey, wait a minute, the FBI approached me prior to the rally and I didn't go along with it, but he recorded them. And... He's being held on a misdemeanor trial uh, charge, but it's 255 days or more? It's almost a year. <clears throat> wow. I, I, suspect, I suspect, Annie, that, that at some point in the future there will be an accounting of how the Department of Justice under um, President Biden has handled the investigation and prosecution of, it's, I think the count now is more than 800 people have been arrested um, and charged, how that has been handled and mishandled, because there are more than, than a few examples like the gentleman that you just mentioned that, um, yeah, he's only been charged with misdemeanors, but... 250-some days in jail, that's, as I just yeah, said, that's almost a year. And now and they, those they things are not supposed just, to happen in America. No, they're not. No. Uh, they, just, they just convicted a gentleman from Sherman, Texas, I think, yesterday. They just announced it yesterday. Uh, on one felony charge, he got one year and a day. And this gentleman that you mentioned who's up on misdemeanor charges has already spent almost a year in jail. No. Right. And then look what they did to Peter Navarro. Uh, he's, right. he's preserving uh, the executive privilege. Uh, he cannot give that away. It's up to Trump to, for him to say, you know, I release you from it. Navarro can't do that. So he was going to court to say, hey, wait a minute, we got, you got to make a decision, you know, where do I stand on this one? So before he can even get his court case heard, they put him in shackles. They take him from the airport in front of a huge crowd. And they put him in the Hinckley cell. And they, they strip search him for misdemeanor charges. I'm sorry. Uh, something, mm. Something's not right here. No, that's the well, tactics of Russia, North Korea, Cuba, China. But not in America. 
Well, unfortunately, well, it's to, here at the American Zoo. I have to say, Annie, as somebody who worked for years to get Ronald Reagan elected and then served for five years in his administration and will never forget the morning that uh, Hinckley uh, tried to assassinate the president, it just blows my mind that a judge just a week before last said, okay, John Hinckley, you're free to go. You can go wherever you want, whenever you want. Yeah, he just got released. Yeah. And that that is amazing. Absolutely amazing. You know, only under this administration, only underneath this woke society do we see something like that. You know, the guy's nuttier than a fruitcake. If anything, he should have been released to an insane asylum, a mental asylum. But no, go ahead, you know, as if nothing ever happened. But here, I want to switch this a little bit. We just had Mayorkas recently testifying to Congress under oath about this disinformation governance board. Uh, Why should we be worried about whether or not he told us the truth, Mark? Is there something that we're not being told here that maybe you found out? Well, um, it wasn't me that found it out. I, I just had the uh, great opportunity to report what a whistleblower, uh, whose identity is being protected, thankfully, told Senators Grassley and Hawley, uh, of course, Charles Grassley from Iowa, and uh, Josh Hawley from Missouri and provided a bunch of documents that made it very clear that contrary to what Mayorkas told the Senate uh, in a May 4th hearing, if I recall correctly, that the disinformation governance board that he was setting up um, was still only basically in the planning stages is what he was suggesting. They had been working on it and implementing the thing and bringing it up to speed since as early as September of the year before. Now, you know, I mean, that's that's not just you say potatoes and I say potatoes. That's, um, no, it's just planning and we're not really doing anything yet when, in fact, we've been putting this thing together for months and months and months, and it's quite advanced. Um, I didn't happen to write the headline on that story, one of the... One of the desk editors did, and they they chose to use the word lie, um, and I can't say that I disagree with it. Now, you know, where are they getting the funding for this? Or are they just pulling it from another department and just playing a little shuffleboard with it? Oh, I suspect that, um, you know, there's there may be a story to be written about how the funding was shifted around to make that possible. Well, they created a domestic terrorism branch within its counterterrorism mission center. Now, allegedly, this would be going after what they called foreign terrorists, but instead they're looking at American citizens. Gee, does that mean like the mom and pops that challenge the PTA, the uh, school boards, um, the people that vote for Trump, the people that want to preserve their First and Second Amendment rights? Uh, people that were Tea Party people, uh, veterans, who are they going to be going after? 
Um, you're uh, quite perceptive, Ann. That's exactly right. That's exactly what they intend to do. And do I still have you? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. I, I think that Ted, hang on a second. Yeah, it's Ted's, there we go. Ted's uh, connection. Yeah, it's Ted's connection. Uh, yeah, Ted, see if you can get yourself into a, a better area. You're kind of like giving me some static. But go ahead. Go ahead, Mark. Um, that's exactly what they intend to do. Um, and I pointed out in the story that I wrote um, also, I think, yesterday or the day before yesterday. There's so many of them I lose track. Um, that the... Uh, Department of Homeland Security, which Mayorkas is the secretary of, the whole point of the Department of Homeland Security was to bring together the federal government's multiple um, agencies and commissions and boards and departments and so forth um, that didn't talk to each other at the time, didn't coordinate with each other, didn't share information with each other about international terrorist attacks from mainly Muslim extremists. So the point of the Department of Homeland Security had nothing to do with whether or not you happen to think that the 2020 election was fair or not. It has nothing to do with what you think of um, any, any particular issue here in the United States. It has exclusively to do with um, protecting the country, the homeland, from foreign attacks, from foreign terrorists. So what they've done is what the Biden and the progressives are doing is exactly what an awful lot of conservatives back during the Bush administration when the Department of Homeland Security was created uh, warned would happen. You set it up now, and it will be focused on international terrorism. But the day will come when one or the other political party will be in control, and they will say, hey, look, we've got this government agency with all of these intrusive powers to um, uh, basically spy on individual Americans, and they will use that against their political opposition. And that's exactly what the Biden people are doing. And this disinformation governance board that they were setting up was just the first step. Yeah, it's, well, it's, you it's, know. It's very worrisome. Yeah. Annie, can we I weigh in on that? The... Yeah, go ahead, Ted, please. Mark, you didn't hear me on uh, the last segment, I don't think. I was in a, no. a meeting. It was on, no. it was on Foreign Affairs. And the meeting was on uh, white national uh, terrorists is the biggest threat to our national security. This was done approximately um, two years ago. And it's interesting because they mapped out exactly what you said. They have gone ahead and weaponized those departments. There was the three-letter agencies were there. And uh, I had to interrupt the meeting and I said, I got, I got to tell you guys that you're scaring the heck out of me. And they said, why? And I said, because I'm a 66-year-old white guy. I'm a Christian. I'm part of the second Tea Party wave. I believe in our Constitution and our country. And um, I, I voted for Trump. And I says, you guys are scaring the hell out of me. And the guy, I remember, it's very funny. He goes, 
he started laughing. He goes, oh, don't be serious. Uh, I says, I'm just reiterating, just heard you guys say for the last hour. And so right after that, you know, the January 6th thing came out, and uh, President Biden said, white national supremacy is the biggest threat to this nation. Christopher Ray came out and said white national supremacy is the biggest threat. So they have weaponized that and put in place that which they are doing now. And you're seeing it with the January 6th, taking people's rights away, um, no, no uh, speedy trial or any of that. And so we are there today, uh, what you just said. It, it's, it's not that the day is coming. It is here. And that's a scary part. You're exactly part. right. That is the scary exactly part. Because right, we, we, when the Patriot Act was passed, it was like, wait a minute, that was a slippery slope. No, no, no. As soon as the, the situation is clear, we're just going to, you know, not renew it. Yeah, well, that didn't quite happen either. So they're still using the Patriot Act. Um, we're seeing the, using it just in our attack on Trump with the Russia Gate, and it is here. And it is very, very scary. And we have someone with the likes of Fauci telling us how to live our lives, where we can go, when we can go, how we can go. And Fauci, what's this little thing that you put up there that, oh, he'll maybe retire? Only if? (laughs) Again, it's fundamentally Uh, transforming America. Mark, what what was Fauci's... uh, Thing that he would only uh, retire if something happens. You know, I'm I'm sitting here trying to remember what that was, Annie. I'm sorry, I don't recall. Um, I think it basically was if you, COVID. <laughs> if, if you if you leave me alone and stop criticizing me, I'll go away. <laughs> um, I you know, Fauci is Fauci is um, a thing unto himself. I agree. That, that he is. That he is. But I actually did a mime where I put a picture of Merrick Garland side by side with Fauci, and they could pass <laughs> for brothers. I mean, it's great. That, that I is true. I could put it back up on. I could put it back up on Facebook. But and you think because they act the same way, they look the same, but there's also a breaking scan that's been. It's been simmering for a while, and I know uh, Mark, you and I talked about this about the royalties being paid to the doctors at the NIH. Uh, tell us what is going about that and why that's a problem. I, I have a feeling, Annie and Congressman, that, that the, the royalty payments by outside firms, predominantly pharmaceutical firms, to individual researchers and scientists and top executives at the National Institutes for Health including Anthony Fauci, is among the biggest scandals in the history of this government scandals in the history of this country because what we are discovering um, is these firms, and there's hundreds of them, have paid over the past 10 years um, an estimated $350 million to more than 1,600 of these folks at the NIH. The payments have been made in secret. The NIH refuses to say how much each particular payment was 
who it came from, and what was the justification for it. So this this is <laughs> someday I think Webster's Dictionary beside conflict of interest they will have a picture of the NIH uh, and these royalty payments because that's the very essence of the appearance of a conflict of interest, which federal ethics law, yeah, federal ethics law for decades has said you can't have an actual conflict of interest and you can't have even the appearance of one. And yet NIH for a decade has had $350 million dollars worth of appearances of, of conflicts and nobody in the democratic majority in the house or the senate seems to care well you know god bless my mom she turns 90 july 4th but when all this came out with the vaccines she looked at me and she said follow the money and sure enough <laughs> in order to get these vaccines approved they have to go through the nih which means these doctors have to have their thumb in on the project, which means how much is Pfizer and Merck and all the other pharmaceutical companies paying them to get these COVID vaccines? And now what? The monkeypox monkey vaccine is going to be the next thing? Uh, how much money did these guys get? Now, Adam Adradzinski of Open the Books I got to get him back on also. I uh, has been trying yeah. to follow this. And if anyone could get to the bottom of it, and you're getting a lot of your information, it looks like, from Adam. Uh, if yes. anyone could get to the bottom, but he's having one hellacious time trying to trace it because this is a conflict of interest. They're collecting a, a, a salary plus benefits on the taxpayer dime. And at the same time, taking private money from these pharmaceutical companies and and uh, equipment developers to get their stuff approved through the very same agency they work through. Yep. Isn't that called bribery? <laughs> that is one word that has occurred to some people, yes. Um, as a matter of fact, there are, at least as far as we can tell to this point, um, and NIH has only provided to Adam uh, as a result of a federal court suit, let's note, um, has only provided data from 2010 through 2016, and they are very slowly producing the data that will ultimately show us the totals for 2010 through 2020. But thus far through 2016, there have been 34 NIH employees who received a hundred or more payments. The wow. guy who got the guy who got the second most is uh, actually quite an extraordinary um, scientist. His name is Ira Paston. He has a, a list of uh, accomplishments in the research medical research field as long as your arm. Uh, quite a distinguished guy. He's making $297,000 a year from the taxpayers, and he got, if I recall correctly, uh, 160 royalty payments over uh, wow. that six-year period. He also, with his distinguished service record, which I think we would all agree is, is important and, and, and valuable, he hasn't done, an, hasn't authored a... Um, peer-reviewed, published 
research paper, I think, in about 10 years. Is that so right? That raises a question of, well, why are we sure paying does. him $297,000 a year? What are the taxpayers getting, you know? Um, and and that's and that's there there are multiple examples like that at NIH. Yeah, you had the uh, this guy Gallo, uh, Robert Gallo. He got two hundred seventy-one yep. payments. Um, right, he got the money. The youngest doctor, uh, youngest doctor Frank Gonzalez, uh, he received one hundred and eighty-one. Um, let me see. Uh, you wrote. I did, you, you quoted Adam. Adam said, "When these employees earn between two hundred and thirty and three hundred and thirty thousand in taxpayer-paid salaries each year, and are ranked in the top twenty of eighteen hundred scientists, having received hidden third-party paid royalties, there are naturally a lot of questions. And it's just another reason why NIH needs to come clean with the American people and produce the full record." Excuse <laughs> yeah. me. Congressman, can you imagine what would happen if we discovered that the Department of Defense had 1,600 employees who were receiving secret payments from Lockheed, Boeing, Northrop, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Oh, they'd be hung out to dry. Yeah, Um, yeah, absolutely. But what you guys are pointing out is – a bigger problem and it's government out of control. You know, I was on the Ag Committee and we investigated food stamp fraud and we had the people in charge of that and they admitted, they admitted that they felt there was at least a billion dollars in fraud. Yeah. But yeah. closer to four to seven billion. And so we tried to bring that up in a hearing. The Democrats didn't want to hear anything about it. We had a first case um, just evidence from a, a sheriff out of Duval County that brought us his investigation in a year and a half when it was 1.8, no, I think it was $4 million in food stamp fraud. Not one Democrat would sit down and look at the videotapes that we had. And um, we brought that all the way up to sunny Purdue. You know what? It's still going on because administrations change. And, you know, if it's not the squeaky wheel, if it's not a headline, they're not going to do anything about it. And so these scientists, you're absolutely right. Until we get somebody in there that will hold government accountable, which is always their favorite term, oh, we want transparency, we want accountability, of course, who doesn't? But yet when they talk about it, they know they're never going to have it. And so they don't pursue it. Um, The system needs to change for sure. I have been dealing with career bureaucrats in Washington, D.C., on Freedom of Information Act request for 30 mm-hmm. years, and I can tell you, God bless you. I can tell you, there are there is nobody in this world more adept at manipulating bureaucratic rules and regulations to keep things secret than federal yeah. bureaucrats. They are masters. Yeah. they sure are. Well, Mark. Mark, people can find you at the Epoch Times, the Epoch, E-P-O-C-H, Times, uh, dot com, uh, where you do fantastic work over there as a D.C. correspondent. And you, you still sure have uh, Hill Faith. Uh, so 
we'll be talking again in two more weeks. You get a week off for now. <laughs> well, well, thank you. Listen, Congressman Yoho, I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk with you. My family is all from East Texas, so uh-huh. I, I really appreciate your work. Well, I appreciate it, and uh, keep up the good work. Um, that's the, one of the few newspapers I uh, read daily, <laughs> and uh, I see your stuff in there, so it's an honor to have you and be able to converse with you. All righty. You guys have a great day. All right, and God Mighty bless, fine. Mark. You too. Take care. All right. Mark Capps, got check him out over the Epic Times. Uh, we've got our final victim in on the, on the show here t- today, Ted. We've got from the Heritage Foundation, Zach Smith, returning. Zach, we've got a special right. guest co-host because my normal co-host, Curtis, is not here. He's at a book signing. So we drug out. We pulled the cat out and said, come on, come play. And dust me we've off. Got yeah, dust you off. Uh, former Congressman Ted Yoho is with us. So how are you today, Zach? Fantastic. And uh, Congressman, I know you used to represent Gainesville, uh, that area down around yep. Ocala. So all I can say is uh, go Gators. <laughs> go Gators. Zach, good to have you on, and I appreciate what you guys do at Heritage. Uh, um, thank you for having me. Uh, you guys do a great job. Well, thank you yeah. so much. I appreciate well, that. Zach has been getting into the nitty-gritty about these rogue prosecutors, which we were starting to discuss a little bit earlier, Ted. And uh, some of this stuff is just mind-boggling. But, Zach, recently San Francisco had a recall election on their prosecutor, and now the L.A. prosecutor is right in the voters' uh, line of sight. You see something happening there, too? Well, I certainly hope so. Look, I think it's worth noting, you know, let it sink in that Chase Boudin, the rogue prosecutor in San Francisco, his policies were so bad, so liberal, that they went too far even for the citizens of San Francisco. (laughs) (laughs) I think that really should uh, be a warning sign of just how dangerous and how radical uh, these rogue prosecutors really are. And so I think George Gascon in L.A., like you mentioned, Annie, other rogue prosecutors around the country, Kim Fox in Chicago, Alvin Bragg in Manhattan, Larry Krasner in Philadelphia, and there are more. I think they're starting to see the handwriting on the wall and are starting at least to walk back or or talk differently about some of their policies. Uh, But unfortunately, you know, at the same time, they're continuing not to prosecute crimes. They're continuing not to seek to hold violent individuals without bail. And until they change their policies and begin doing their jobs and enforcing the law, I think we're going to continue to see this lawlessness and this rise in violent crimes continue. Well, you know, you talked about in one of your articles, and it's not just rising crime, rogue prosecutors are a huge problem. And uh, the people behind this, the main source we know is George Soros and the Tides Foundation. Uh, But the other one is Open Philanthropy Project, and not very many people hear about that one. What, What is that? So Open Philanthropy, it's a, a supposed nonprofit philanthropic organization uh, that was basically, it's today primarily funded and set up by Brian Moskowitz and his wife, Carrie Kuna. Uh, Brian made his money through Facebook and some other tech startups as well, but they've essentially bought in 
uh, to many of the same very flawed, very bad ideas that are also being pushed uh, by George Soros and his affiliated organizations. And essentially what these tech billionaires and the rogue prosecutors who are getting their money, either directly or indirectly, they've bought into this flawed idea that our criminal justice system is systemically racist. It's not. Uh, and that we have a mass incarceration problem in this country. We don't. Uh, but because they've bought into these very flawed ideas, you know, we've seen the host of bad policies follow through. Uh, and I think you and I have talked about it before, Annie. The sad irony is, you know, not prosecuting crimes, uh, advocating for very uh, lenient sentences, no incarceration. All of those policies are being pushed to supposedly help minority members of the community, particularly young black men. But when you look at who are the disproportionate victims of crime, particularly of violent crime, you'll see that those minority community members, those are the individuals that suffer the most uh, in the cities where these policies have been put in place. Yeah, You're well, right. things, Soros has spent $40 million to get 75 of these social justice prosecutors into the cities. And... When you, when you look at the information that you provided, um, here we go. He's, Soros has spent as much as 90% of the, of the money that goes into the campaign. So these prosecutors, these rogue prosecutors, are not being supported by um, the money coming from constituents. It's coming all from George Soros. He's actually total, almost totally funding these campaigns. And he wants to fundamentally change these United States. I mean, and his son is going to follow straight in his footsteps, isn't he? Well, it's kind of an ingenious and kind of a, a you know, bad for our country <laughs> type of way. Uh, you know, George Soros and his advisors, they figured out they can get far more bang for their buck by funding these local DA races than funding a lot of legislative races around the country. Because essentially what they figured out is that the local district attorney, in a lot of ways, is the linchpin of the criminal justice system. Police can make arrests, uh, they can investigate crimes, but that doesn't matter if the DA uh, won't bring charges. Judges can impose appropriately tailored sentences, including lengthy periods of incarceration. But again, if the DA dismisses the charges or doesn't bring a case, the judge never gets a chance to, you know, administer justice. And so they figured out for a relatively low sum of money, now the amount you mentioned, Annie, it's a lot of money. But in politics, you know, comparatively speaking, it's not that much. Uh, but they figured out they can really get more for their money by funding these local uh, DA races instead of legislatures around the country. And, you know, it's really bad for us. In a lot of ways, not only because of the rise in crime, but it's really warping the structure of government in many of these states and cities where these rogue prosecutors are in office. You know, these rogue prosecutors are essentially usurping the role of the state legislatures. They're basically saying, right. there are laws I don't like. I'm not going to enforce it. We saw that uh, to a certain extent with the Obama administration. Uh, you know, when uh, you know the Obama administration was essentially, you know, granting amnesty to a lot of illegal immigrants. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah, exactly. It's that same type of idea, and it's it's bad for us as a country, and it promotes lawlessness. Exactly, exactly. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, it, but they turn around and they say the people that want the social justice. But look, arrests are down. 
So you don't see, you know, as many people being arrested uh, for uh, drug dealing for or this, for that. But the data, <laughs> the actual data doesn't match what they're saying. Uh, yeah, the well, arrests aren't being made. It doesn't mean the crimes are not being committed. Well, that's exactly right. And, I, I you know, I kind of chuckle uh, when I hear this talking point because it's so disingenuous. Uh, you know, of course, police officers aren't going to waste their limited resources on making arrests for crimes that the DA has already told them, hey, I'm not going to prosecute for those crimes. And guess what? I'm not even going to seek to hold somebody in jail overnight uh, if you bring them in. I'm going to move to immediately release them without any bail if you arrest someone. So, of course, police officers aren't going to waste their time uh, making arrests for crimes that the DA has already said they're not going to prosecute. And so in that way, it's very disingenuous. You know, many of these DAs are kind of manufacturing uh, their own, you know, favorable crime statistics pointing to the lower arrests that are really uh, a direct result of their, their policies <laughs> while the crime, you know, continues to happen on the street. Uh, it, You're it is, absolutely it is right, so many... and it's a false narrative. It is. It is. Go ahead. And, and, well, the only other thing I would say about that false narrative, I think that's a great point, because if you go talk to people in the communities, you know, the false na- one of the other false narratives that these road DAs have pushed is that there are certain quality of life crimes, like shoplifting, drug possession, prostitution, that really can go unpunished and not have an impact on the community. Well, that's just not true. You know, kind of allowing right. this lawlessness to fester, it has many upstream consequences. It leads to more serious crimes. Uh, but we've heard the stories in San Francisco, CVS, Walgreens, Target, Walmart. They're either closing stores or reducing hours. Now, if you're a middle-class family or an upper-class family, you can drive the extra couple miles to go to the next closest drugstore. You know, you can go uh, at more inconvenient hours without much more than a minor inconvenience. But if you're a low-income family who's living paycheck to paycheck, if you're depending on public transportation, depending on being able to walk to that local pharmacy, that's a big, big deal when those stores either leave your neighborhood or reduce hours so that you can't get there uh, when you you don't have to miss work. Uh, And so, again, there are a host of consequences that flow from these very flawed policies. Now, I'm going to switch over to uh, the Kavanaugh incident, the attempted murder of uh, Brett Kavanaugh. And it all stems back to that first draft document uh, from the Supreme Court that was stolen, or we don't, I can't say honestly before that it was stolen, but it ends up in Politico. And the way, I didn't actually read the article until just recently, the way the person who wrote the article and his co author did it, it was in such a manner that it would actually stir up the sentiment we see now, the two different sides actually warring. Uh, I'm saying that this was done planned just to deliberately alter the ruling in the end and keep Roe v. Wade in place. But what's the constitutionality of this now? I mean, you've got a... a, a, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, please, Zach. 
Well, I, no, I'm sorry. It's just I get so worked up. <laughs> I was ready to jump in <laughs> on this uh, because it's so outrageous. Uh, look, you're absolutely right. This was clearly designed to try to change the outcome from that draft opinion. It was designed to kind of stir up resentment and intimidation against some of the conservative justices to try to get them to change their votes. And frankly, I think if any of the justices changed their votes now, it, it would very well be seen as caving to kind of this left-leaning liberal mob. Uh, but the, the draft opinion leaked. It was certainly a breach of decorum. It's less clear what criminal law, if any, was broken. My colleague John Malcolm and I, we actually wrote a, an op-ed kind of walking through the different options. There are potential criminal laws that could be in play. Um, you know, one of the things that we suggested uh, that whoever the chief justice tasked with investigating this leak should do is have the clerks and affidavit under oath saying that they didn't leak the document. And then if they sign that affidavit under penalty of perjury and it turns out they did leak the document, well, that's a criminal offense. And if someone won't sign the document, well, that's a good place to start the investigation <laughs> to see if there's a leaker. Um, but you mentioned also the protesting at the justices' homes. You know, I'm also going to put yeah. this in the category of the Biden administration encouraging lawlessness. There's a federal law in the books that prohibits this mm -hmm. type of activity, but it's up to the Justice Department, it's up to Attorney General Merrick Garland to empower federal law enforcement, to empower the Department of Justice to go out and prosecute the people who are breaking this law. And I'm concerned that unless uh, Merrick Garland does his job, uh, make sure that the laws are enforced, that appropriate prosecutions are brought, you know, we're going to see more of this type of very concerning activity where the justices are being threatened or intimidated or even, you know, heaven forbid, other people making attempts on the justices' lives or the lives of their families. Right. And that is something we cannot uh, tolerate. Yeah, and Nancy Pelosi said they were going to try to do some sort of I don't know, Ted, what was it she was going to do to help protect the the chief justices? Was it using uh, – she was going to pass something, some sort of a resolution? They're going to bring it up was? in a couple of days. They're going to bring it up in a couple of days. And I know one of the other things is uh, the, the, the argument saying, well, the justice, it's a separate branch of government, so they can do their own thing. But the money comes to do those other things for security through the House. You know, Congress right. is in charge of the money. And I'm afraid what she's going to do, whatever they do to help the justices, will have gun control in there for the nation. And then the Republicans will vote against it. The narrative will be swapped that the Republicans don't want to uh, uh, um, give security to the Supreme Court justices. And this is how they play that game. And if I may, for just a minute, go back to what you were saying about the district attorneys. Uh, mm -hmm. We can go and we can look at that or we can look at the, the leaker of the um, – the court documents from the Supreme Court on Roe v. Wade, those are, again, those are the minor things that will, I don't want to say distract us, but we'll focus on that where the big picture is George Soros funding these things to change America. And um, you can we can debate on Roe v. Wade and the leak, but the ultimate cause or the ultimate effect of that is it's a division of America. It puts one side against the other side. And this is what Obama did. This is what Biden is doing. And that really is the big picture that we should focus on. These other things are very important. We need to get to the bottom of that. But we need to remember why we're being led down these rabbit holes. And it's to divide this nation. 
so that uh, they can push in this Marxist um, uh, agenda. Right. Well, you well, mentioned the other. If I could just quickly, exactly. the other thing I'd say on that, you know, Congressman, I think that's a, a great point. And you know, one of the things unfortunately we've seen is really the politicization of the courts, particularly the Supreme right. Court. Right. Right. And and I think a lot of folks on the left are really pushing this idea. Unfortunately, that the Supreme Court does politics, uh, that it should just be a super legislature. And that's not the role of judges. That's not the role of justices. Their role is to look at the Constitution, look at the laws that Congress has passed, have been signed into law by the president, and interpret them based on what they say. It's not to enact, or it shouldn't be to enact, their preferred policy preferences. Uh, but I think the right. more you know, those on the left push that narrative, you know, you start to see these protests, the threats to the justices, and it just, it does divide us and it leads us into a very bad place and a very dangerous place uh, for our country as well. Boy, it sure does. Well, Ted, you mentioned that if any legislation is is proposed by Pelosi, it may control, have some gun control in it. But the House just passed two separate bills, if I am correct, Zach, uh, one, uh, to up the age of the purchaser, right. uh, and the other one is the red flag law. Uh, so they're already got two bills that passed the House that go to the Senate, and uh, I don't see it passing through the Senate, but you never know what some of these guys are going to do today. Um, what's going on there, Zach? Well, I think that's right, Annie. You know, they're certainly going to try to, you know, unfortunately politicize some of the recent tragedies we've seen. My colleague Amy Swearer actually went and testified uh, in front of uh, one of the House committees uh, this earlier this week. And, you know, I thought it was really a shameful exchange. Representative Katie Porter uh, actually accused my colleague of perjuring herself, having misrepresented uh, some of her previous testimony. Now, Amy didn't do that. I think if you go back and read the record, it's very clear. Uh, but I think it really shows that, you know, unfortunately, many on the left, going back to what you were saying, congressmen, are trying to divide our country, are trying to use many of the very troubling things happening in the world right now uh, to really push a, a radical left-wing partisan agenda. And I think it's very important sure. for us uh, on the right to confront that when it happens, uh, to put the facts out there. And I think the more we put out the facts fairly, accurately, and in a compassionate way, the more people understand, look, you know, there are certain fundamental rights that are guaranteed to us in the Constitution, and any attempts to, you know, scale back or politicize those rights or remove them, you know, we have to be very careful about that and push back uh, very aggressively against that and resist the smear. It'll be interesting. It, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what Pelosi puts in her bill that'll go back and um, they'll vote on it, and the Senate will probably have to have a version of that and to see the kind of garbage that she'll put in there um, on gun control and things like that. And, again, they'll use that narrative that, oh, we tried to pass this bill to protect our Supreme Court justices, but the Republicans didn't support it. Of course, they don't need it, the Republicans now, because they got the majority. But when it goes to the Senate, they'll use that because they know uh, uh, elections are coming up. You know, some of the stuff I saw coming up, Zach, where uh, some of the uh, congressmen wanted to uh, make it illegal to own certain firearms. And one of them in the list that I saw that was being proposed (laughs) was the Glock 19, one of the most uh, uh, 
popular guns carried by law enforcement. I mean, if you're telling the law enforcement that they can't carry a Glock 19 or you can't carry any more than 15 rounds, wait a minute, who's going to have more than 15 rounds? Oh, yeah, that's right, the bad guy. Right. Well, it it is absurd. And, again, I think it just shows how how partisan this debate has has become and how far and how aggressively – you know, those on the left are willing to, to kind of push their radical left-wing agenda, you know, regardless of the consequences of their actions. Yeah, they'll do anything and everything. And what really gets me is that uh, they're pulling some of these kids that were involved in the Uvalde, uh, some of the survivors, and having them, these eight, nine-year-olds, to testify before Congress. Of course, it's going to pull on the heartstrings. But it's not going to be something built on fact. Yes, these incidents do have a psychological effect on these kids. So work on helping the kids, uh, but don't turn around and use their victimhood to bludgeon us and steal our constitutional and our God-given rights. But that is what they're going to be doing. Right. But they'll accuse the Republicans of politicizing. Right. Well, the other thing I'll say, you know, I suspect, you know, later this month, the Supreme Court has uh, several high-profile cases that it has yet to release, and there's a very big Second Amendment case uh, that the court heard earlier this year uh, and is waiting to release its opinion. It's the New York Rifle and Pistol Association case. And so if the Supreme Court strikes down New York's very restrictive gun law, uh, finds a Second Amendment right uh, for individuals in New York to not only possess but also carry uh, their their you know, firearms outside of the home, uh, then I suspect we'll see a lot more uh, effort to kind of ramp up a lot of very heated language, you know, that's currently surrounding the gun control debate. And so I think this will be an issue uh, we'll be confronting, you know, very front and center in the next several months, especially uh, as the Supreme Court winds up its term. Well, even if they do seem to get these two bills passed, um, I have a big problem with the um, uh, the red flag laws because just about anyone that gets into a pissing contest with you can turn around to a judge, uh, get an order sent saying, hey, listen, this person's a danger to themselves or to others, and next thing you know, you've got a SWAT team knocking on your door with a warrant to remove your guns. Where's the constitutionality in these red flag laws and why aren't they being challenged? And then challenging the constitutionality of restricting the age of someone that can own a gun. Well, they say in their legislation, they say purchase, uh, but can they be constitutionally challenged successfully, do you think? Well, I think this is going to be an area of intense litigation because even if the federal red flag law doesn't pass, many states have red flag laws, and they vary uh, widely. Uh, between, you know, the details of, of what they are, what they're about, um, and, and kind of the judicial process that's in place to make sure that someone's rights are being protected. Unfortunately, what we've seen many states enacting are very broad red flag laws where, like you were saying, you know, for basically any reason under the sun, if someone complains, you know, state officers can come in and seize your guns, and it's a very difficult process to get them back. 
Some of the better red flag laws we've seen, they're very narrowly tailored. There's a very quick judicial review process where an impartial judge will determine whether or not there is a real danger or whether this was a frivolous complaint. And so I think this is something that's going to be litigated very aggressively. I think it'll be very interesting to see uh, how the different state courts uh, around the country come out on these issues of state law. And I suspect eventually this will work its way up to the Supreme Court where the justices will have to decide whether these red flag laws are constitutional. And if so, what the contours of the, those red flag laws must look like in order to accord with our constitutional rights. Well, you know, I didn't mention that you are the uh, co-director of Heritage Foundation's Rogue Prosecutors Initiative. Uh, what do you, what's, what's that about? We only got about maybe a minute yeah. left. <clears throat> well, I'll give you the quick overview. So about the past two years, my colleague, colleague Stimson and I, we've been following these rogue prosecutors from around the country. And like you mentioned, it's a top-down movement being funded by George Soros and these other liberal billionaires. And they're really pushing this idea that our criminal justice system is systemically racist, that we have a mass incarceration problem. And they're essentially trying to undermine our criminal justice system so that they can, quote, fundamentally reimagine it. Now, their reimagining uh, is nothing that <laughs> I think any of us want. We've seen the results. It's led to increases in crime, increases in violent crime, more shootings, more murders, more rapes, more robberies. It's bad stuff all around. And so I'd encourage all of your listeners to go out, find out who's running in your local DA race, and be sure that they're committed to doing their jobs and enforcing the law as it's written. Well, Zach, it's always a pleasure to have you with us. And people can find you at heritage.org, and they can read all your articles and look at the uh, the that initiative that you're working on with your partner there and see some of the blogs and things that you're doing about that. Ted, it is always a pleasure to have you, and I'm glad you stepped in last minute. So my guest co-host today, former Congressman Ted Yoho. So, th- gentlemen, thank you for joining us, and thank you for a Andy, wonderful Andy, thank show. you, Zach. Great talking to you. Thank of you. course. Thank you both for taking the time. All right. Have a great day. And I'll leave, every- I'll leave everyone with a song by my friend Gary Pecarella, Save America. So we'll be back, same bat time, same bat station next week. So I say good night and God bless. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.